everybody. Welcome. Welcome to the John of Your Life podcast, the show all about movies, TV, and why we love entertainment. This is episode number 22. I am one of your hosts, Doug Jones. With me, as always, is my esteemed and fantastic co-host, Mr. Nick Johnson. How are you today, sir? I'm doing very good, very good. Very happy to be here. Likewise, my friend, happy Barbenheimer weekend. Oh, it's yes, indeed. officially upon us. This is probably the last two big movies of the summer. Well, I guess Ninja Turtles and Haunted Mansion are the last two, but it's like the last two kind of like big, big like releases of the summer mm-hmm. um, that we're all kind of hoping for because with indie flopping and flash flopping and mm-hmm. uh, Transformers flopping, it's been a summer of like, well, shit, what's next? Um, <laughs> yeah. um, but hopefully Chris Nolan and Margot Robbie can save the box office for all of us. But and you all here too. Welcome. Welcome to the show. Um, as always, guys, you can find the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, or your favorite podcast platform of choice. You can also hear the audio show as well on YouTube at our YouTube page, Midway of New Productions. Uh, while, you're, while you're there or you're in the Spotify, or Apple Podcasts, or whatever, hit that follow button, leave a review. It helps us out, helps show out tremendously. As always, guys, thank you so much for your support. Before we get into the Barbenheimer madness that is this week in this episode, first things first, it's been, as we all know, the actors and writers have been striking now. The actors were striking them now for a week. I believe the writers have been going on for about 70 days, might be a little bit more. I Don't quote me. I think it's 70 days. But, you know, the thing is, you know, streaming is definitely still very kind of like new and they're still trying to navigate, you know, residuals and back end deals and all kind of stuff. You know, times would change. But, you know, I think what I'm what we're seeing a lot now, too, is that there's not a lot of like leadership on both sides, if you ask me. So my thing, you know, we passed we was reading articles and stuff that that I'm, I, now Peacock is going to be raising prices during a strike, which I think is very questionable. And now Netflix is doing this thing, which I'm like, I don't get their Netflix's motto or philosophy at all the past year, if you ask me. I, mean, I, w- I worked there for a month before I got fired. I'm sorry, let go because of the sorry, project ended, I would say, because of um Yes, yes of the, the worst quarter at worst financial quarter ever for them. Um, but, you know, they're not, now they introduced this thing of like, we're going to do like a basic ad to add to your plan, 10 bucks, which is, yeah, more people wanted, more people joined it because it was like affordable. You weren't paying all the stuff. But as always, there was restrictions because you couldn't watch everything. You had to watch things on like standard dev, couldn't watch things on HD, unfortunately. And you couldn't watch like certain originals, which was also kind of weird. But anyway. It has now been reported, as well as Peacock raising their prices, Netflix is going to be cutting their cheap ad tier uh, 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 subscription base. And I'm like, wait, you're doing this during a strike as well? Nick, oh, you first, my friend. I, I don't know that this is good business, but what you, what's your take on all this stuff? I feel like it's kind of like crazy to do this, A, mid-strike, two strikes, but also just in general that you're going to lose like, a bunch of people, you know, consumers. Yeah, I don't... It seems like... Admittedly, I'm sorry. I kind of I haven't been following this like too too much, but the oh, whole good. it seems like Netflix has just kind of been acting a little funky for a little bit. Um, even like I think before the strike, they were saying like, yeah, we're gonna restrict how many people can can I use or not restrict how not restrict how many people can use it, but like you know, you guys you can't be showing like the the passwords and all right. that and da 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 da. And it's like, well. <laughs> I understand you got to have like policies for the company that you're running, but it's like, I don't even know. Forgive me, bro. I've kind of been, no, I, don't, I don't have fucked up. Bro. I'm sorry. No, God, you're good. 
But no, no, it just seems like Netflix has kind of been on some. I don't want to say bullshit, but for lack of a better term, man, it's just been kind of like you're doing shit to make us not want to continue our subscriptions, man. Right. Like the whole, you know, like I said earlier, like the whole password thing, like, oh, don't share it. If you share, like, you're either going to be restricted or, or whatever. I don't have Netflix personally, so I'm not sure exactly how it all works, but I'm, yeah. I'm just like, I don't know. I, I just don't get it. I, I didn't work at Netflix, so maybe there's just something that I'm missing. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it either. And I feel like this was my thing. I was like, I think with both when the writer strike happened, now the actors, I was like, this is gonna be. I thought it was gonna happen maybe after the strike strikes ended, whatever that will be. But mm-hmm. I was like, wait, you're doing it mid, not just one strike, but two strikes. That's just yeah. like you're hurting the you're hurting the consumer. And yeah. Peacock is still a very new, like Paramount Plus. I think it's a those two are very new, um, you know platforms for streaming platforms because they're not as they're not as been around as much as you know uh, hulu or Nef- or netflix obviously um or hbo max now it's more max it just to me i'm like well max did the same thing i think right when the writer strike was happening was they're gonna raise our prices because our new service if, if you want 4k now you five bucks more and i'm like yeah i get it but you're also hearing the consumer because like i said before the show started it was i was saying this to you nick i was like yo life ain't cheap you know, yeah, it just it, with all this stuff going on, it, it doesn't seem like the right time to start raising prices. Yeah. Because also, just in, in addition to what's up? Read the room, right? <laughs> right. No, yeah, it's like you, you pick kind of an awkward time to try to get more money out of us because there's a strike going on. And in addition to that, just it's all these new streaming platforms that keep like popping up, and one just I've had a couple of conversations like this, like, well, how many streaming platforms are there going to be? Because now it's like, if there's a show that I want to watch that looks good, okay, bet. I'll just, the initial thought is like, well, I'll stream it whenever I'm able to. But it's right. like, well, you have to buy this new subscription. It might be like Netflix, Disney Plus, Peacock, um, Paramount, um, um, like Apple TV, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And it's like, uh, I don't know, like, in a more up. general sense, it just kind of seems like a lot of things are kind of going to shit and it's it's a lot of stuff going on right now that it doesn't make sense to me it just kind of seems like it just like why i just i don't know it just seems like why are you guys doing this one at all or two like right now yeah you know what i mean it just seems kind of a little tone deaf maybe yeah, it's bad timing, and all this is now going to feel. I think I, I don't know if, if this was if that was striking, which I'm not, which we're not, we're not. But it's also it's too hot to strike right now. It, it's hot oh everywhere. <laughs> Bro, <West it> Coast. <laughs> I was driving back home today. It was 120 degrees, uh, man. God, yeah. For our listeners, we're in the Phoenix area, and you know we live yeah. in the desert, and really, it's been excessive. Like in 20 days now, the record of like excessive heat warning with 120 degrees, and not going down uh-huh. anytime soon. So we're. We're sweating, and I have you know, we have friends in LA. Moses, is one of them, yeah. that he's you know living there from the valley. It's hot right now, so my buddies at work obviously are like, "Oh, it's hot." So it's just too it's just too hot for all that. But mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. I think it's it's bad timing. It's just also I just don't. It's gonna. I mean, if I, okay, if I was striking, I'd be like, "Well, we're striking now," and you just proved our kind of proved our point of like, wait, mm-hmm. you just you raised prices again, and I think it was happening. It was gonna happen inevitable that it was gonna happen either at the end of the strike or mid strike. But again, you're really hurting the consumer because, again, with you know, with inflation and prices going up, again, we're not trying to get too, too political here, but it was just like it's just 
it adds up and people can't i mean if you get to your point too nick yeah i mean i we have i have netflix well i went netflix through data data's family luckily but i know i had friends of family that lost their things because they locked they are locked out i think they added like another like oh you can add 10 bucks more you can you know add them to your thing and i'm like yeah but that also adds up so now you you now you took you took away the only thing that may could have been affordable which was 10 bucks you know add you know add um ad plan for netflix you're just kind of hurting yourself and also you know i said this i think november too maybe the first episode of the podcast was that when they did glass onion i was like still don't get they paid half a billion dollars for those movies when that movie did half a billion dollars in the box office of the first one and a really low budget movie they bought the rights for those movies and then we're gonna do we're gonna do it netflix only and i was all right thinking we're gonna do a one week quote-unquote wide release and i was like okay how wide is it and it was like the widest one they've had in their history which will win like i don't know maybe 500 screens i'm like then compared to like a 3000 like that Mar- that disney and hbo that, that warner brothers and sony have or universal has i'm like that's nothing and i mean to their credit they to their you know to their advantage it made a lot of money in only a week and then they called it oh this, this is a failure nope this is a failure well, you gave it a week, and then you pulled it off the week after it, it after the week it ended. I was like, wait, and they go, it's a failure, it's a failure, it's a failure. And then I'm not a big fan of uh, Ted Sarandos, who's the CEO of Netflix, but he was saying, you know, we shouldn't invest on that. That was a big flop. It was a big flop because well, no, it was a big flop because you made money off. You made mo- most money you did in a in a in a theatrical release. Mm-hmm. You only gave it you only gave it half, only 500 theaters, and then you gave it only a week thing. You should give it at least two weeks. Or leading up to the release on Netflix, which is again it was, a, it was a month after that of Christmas Day, and I'm just like that was kind of stupid. And they go, no, we just see this. It proved our point. That improved shit. Like you, just, you, you kind of shot yourself in the foot and said, oh, it's a failure. But there was kind of results that it was working. So that to me is also kind of like blasphemous. But yeah. I'll, I'll get off my high horse. But I just think it was a really bad time to do all this stuff. I don't know who's going to be next. I know, uh, you know, um, Showtime just merged with Paramount Plus, and then they're going to be um, all on one, all on one platform. But again, it's not free. You got to, I want to say maybe it's a few bucks more now. Not a huge jump, but it still it adds up. Where it's like, well, I used to have Showtime and Paramount Plus separate, and it was kind of like more affordable. Now you're now you're bundling, which is I guess it's the same thing, but it's still a price hike. But I don't know. It just to me, it's like again, read, again, read the room. Bad right. timing. It's just like it's I don't know it's it's silly and I, I really do hope that you know this these two strikes kind of end quickly so that people go back to work and they can you know you know pay rent and you know, pay bills because like I said life ain't cheap so yeah. we will see what happens next. Yes, fingers well, crossed. Fingers crossed, man. But all right, speaking of now, as I mentioned, it is Barbenheimer weekend, guys. Again, this is the hopefully the weekend that will save the summer box office. Like I said, it's just been. Miss after miss. I mean, when I think when Guardians three came out, they did pretty well. I mean, I do mm-hmm. think it wasn't like the best numbers that Marvel had, but it still opened pretty well. Fast. Go, 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 go. No, I was gonna say like Guardians was kind of the best Marvel movie in in a little bit, bro. Yeah. There's no way home. If you ask me. What's up? I think there's no way home. If you ask me. Honestly, yeah. Cause, okay, yeah, yeah. That's 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 a good point. What came that's out? What happened like, right, right after No Way Home? Because No Way Home was dope, and I remember. Um, what was it? Quantum Mania was after that. Am Doctor I missing? Strange, Doctor Strange. Oh, that's right. Yeah, like Multiverse of Madness. Madness it's, and Thor. That's what. Oh my gosh, Thor. Well, I saw that movie like two or three times in theaters, and I wasn't even really feeling it the first time. 
Yeah, we saw it at IMAX opening night, and I was like, they were laughing because they were like, this could have been better. <laughs> yeah, like, it was, it's one of those movies, like, it's funny, and, like, it's fun, and it's a good movie to kind of chill out to, but coming off of Thor Ragnarok, Avengers Infinity War, and Avengers Endgame, it's, uh, it's like, I, like, they... They kind of pulled a James Gunn for me, like how, how James Gunn did the yeah. Suicide Squad. It's kind of how Taika Waititi did Thor Love and Thunder. It's good. It's solid. But y'all leaned way too much in, in the humor. Yes. Ah, way too right much. Now. No, you way got, too much. They leaned way too much in the humor. And also, like you, you can't... <sighs> Bro... Okay, I'm, my bad. Just, I gotta just... Let me just get this out real quick. Do it. Just as, as a comic book fan, man, you, you telling me... We got we got Gore. Not only do we have Gore the God Butcher as the main villain for this Thor movie, bro. I never thought I would see Gore the God Butcher on film because I don't know if you like read that comic or you just heard about what happened in that comic. But it was originally a very dark story, a very good story, but it was like very dark. So they're like, you know, we got Gore the God Butcher. Okay, interesting, interesting. I like. I'm initially thinking like, you can't have. It's got to be a different director and a completely different tone, man. Because right. going to the God Butcher, that shit was like, it was depressing, man. Like for like almost all the characters in the story, but they're like, oh yeah, we're we're uh, uh, Taika Waititi's going to be directing it. I'm like, hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know about all that, <laughs> but it's like okay, well we got Christian Bell playing Gore. Okay, okay, interesting. Because dude, if Christian Bell was going to do Gore and he was going to do it like legit, just as he was in the comics that would be amazing now i i liked his performance and i thought he had a solid story in the movie but it just it was just kind of um it was weak to me like they didn't really take it there and that that's the problem that i i have with a lot of comic book films like they they don't really take it there you know what i mean like they don't go as deep into like the emotion or the gravity of the situation as I feel like they should, or even just as they could in general. You right. know what I mean? Like Thor Love and Thunder should have been it shouldn't have been a depressing movie, but it shouldn't have been a super lighthearted comedy. Like I, I would have treated that like kind of um hmm. Well, I can't think of the movie right now, but like I would have just I would have treated it like more mature had, you know, like you, you feel the emotional stakes of everything a lot more because it's it's basically just an existential movie you got you got thor who is a god and the villain is a person that kills gods and like this dude basically came out of nowhere like go the god butcher you seen rocky three yep oh yeah of course so Gore the God Butcher was like you basically treat him like how they did Clubber Lang in in uh, <laughs> yeah. uh in Rocky Three. This dude not only came out of nowhere, but he just fucked everybody's shit up. And he did it all on his <laughs> own. That's how you do Gore the God Butcher. So you got that. That's that's the whole existential thing. Cause his thing is I'm killing all of the gods. And you're telling me like there's gonna be a scene where Thor meets all of the other gods and blah blah blah. Like, dude, I'm picturing just epic fucking scale, cosmic, you know, heavy like existential shit again and so but all of that was treated for laughs and it's like okay i'm not totally feeling that and then they're like oh we're gonna do the whole jane foster as thor storyline okay interesting because she had cancer in the comics so that's another layer of like existential dread like i have this sickness and i can't um i don't know what i can do to stop it and part of it part of the thing in the comics i if i remember correctly they kind of touched on this in the movie but 
in the comics when she was when she held uh uh when she held Thor's hammer, she was like all powerful and and muscular and strong and everything like that. But whenever she but it, the thing with that was it it purged all the chemotherapy out of her body. So whenever she let go of the hammer, the cancer just it reset and it kept getting worse. So she like actually had to be Thor in order to survive. And I'm like, ah, that would have been really cool to see again if they just handled it. Not as a joke, you know. Yeah, but my, my yeah. bad about that tangent, though. But um, uh, that's, um, that's the show. This is the yeah. show. <laughs> you right. So it was. So yeah. So it was. Uh, no way home. Oh, uh, multiverse of madness. What kind of forever was a good one? You know, I, I keep what forgetting kind of that forever came out. was fantastic, man. I cried during the movie yeah. and even after the movie. I was like, this is too much for me, but it's good though, man. Okay, so yeah, so uh, 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 uh no way home was dope. Wakanda Forever was dope, and then Guardians Volume Three was dope. Doctor Strange: Multiverse of Madness to me, like it was good, but it was like, yeah, y'all kind of like flubbed up a little bit a couple of times. And then Thor: Love and Thunder, like a fun movie, I can watch it and have a good time. But in the back of my head, it's just like, ah, like this really should not have been a comedy, man. Like no. I'm, I'm not saying they should have got, I'm not saying they should have got like Snyder to direct it, but just someone that can handle like heavier more dramatic scenes action scenes you know and the whole just comic book kind of feel to it you know someone that can just do like a dark heavy story but you will make it relatively palatable for audiences um yeah i think because even like while they were filming i seen like some features while they were filming it and then like sometimes afterwards they were saying like yeah man it's like seven year olds made this movie ha 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 and i'm like oh i don't know bro for the girl the god bitches storyline nah fam <laughs> No, if Snyder said that while he was making fucking Man of Steel with Justice BVS, I'd be like, hey, hey, listen, my boy, we got to talk. Like, it's like seven years did this. And then, like, you're watching, like, oh, this is how we designed the, um, like, some of the monsters or the shadow monsters that you saw in the movie. But it's the actors and the director's kids, like, just kind of drawing shit. And then they're like, yeah, we can just make that. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but. Just the kind of nonchalantness of it, it feels a little bit lazy. Like, yeah, we'll just, yeah, fuck it, we'll do it. Yeah. I'm like, nah, man, uh, oh, bro, not Again. after, not after Ragnarok, not after Infinity War, which is, in my opinion, one no. of the it's top three MCU movies of all time, and so definitely true. not after Endgame, bro. So true, man. I, I think this. I think it's now we're. I think it's been very obvious that you know post Endgame, it's not it has not been the same. I because I think for what it was eleven year eleven years they were consistent. I mean, there's a few hit or misses sometimes, but like for the most yeah. part, it was very it was very consistent. And I feel like everyone was like, I can't wait for the, I can't wait for the next one. Yeah, I, I love as much. I love all of them, but I did like almost all almost all of them. And mm-hmm. I was just, and I do think the dip in quality. And I think you know, I think people got. I mean. I'm not gonna say what Bob Iger said about the you know the strike whatever that's a different kind of show. But I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna focus on what we said on last. I think it was last week. He said you know I think the MCU is not what it used to be. I I think a I agree with that. And I do. Yeah. And I think you know I've not been any fan of the Disney Plus shows personally. I don't know about you, but to me it's just like Bob Iger was saying that it kind of like took away the the importance of. Um, the MCU itself, and I think that you know people mm. don't want to do people don't want to do homework now to go see a movie. You know they don't want to watch all these all these shows, and then to watch you know this other this other thing. 
And it's yeah. I think that's what MCU wasn't at one point. And now with Disney Plus and you know, the expansion of these stories, I think it's really important to have these expansion of stories for a, aspiring filmmakers, aspiring actors. You can expand the story for sure. With that said, though, I think it. I think what Bob. I agree with Bob Iger said. He said I think it kind of like hurt the brand a lot because it was just. It's not the same anymore. I think again, quantity over quality was not the not the right decision. I think it should go back to quality over quantity because mm-hmm. you see stuff like and like I said with like the original the Infinity Saga with Endgame or in, no uh, Infinity War like you said or the first Black Panther, uh, Silver War, Winter Soldier, and again with exceptions with. Um, no Way Home and uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, and now with Guardians 3, it's we still have like kind of p- parts of that, but it's not the same anymore. It's not the same anymore. Yeah. I do think Disney Plus definitely took Disney Plus for sure had a hit to it, and I do think as well as that the they, they weren't invested, like you said, too. I have a big Taco with TT fan. I was kind of with TT with out after Love and, Love and Thunder. I was like, I, I need a break from him because, yeah, I do like his work. But I saw him in Free Guy before, right, right before that. You know, it was like, all right, this, it's a lot of him. And I do think that even Sam Raimi, too, when Sam Raimi came back, I was like, cool. But I think you and I both said, though, we were like, damn, Scott Derrickson had that shit in luck. And if you've Bro. seen all the movies. Yeah, like, it's like if, if you're really trying to do like different shit, then y'all should no disrespect to Sam Raimi. But even even with because I uh, like Multiverse of Madness was cool, but it didn't really it did not 100% feel like a Raimi film. And it's like, no, what's the point of getting... That's like Aladdin and Guy Ritchie. Dude, when they said the Guy oh, Ritchie yeah. was directing Aladdin, I was 100% on board. I love the Sherlock Holmes movies, and I, I like yeah. the kind of Ritchie feel. And I'm like, you know what? That would actually kind of... I, I, that would be an interesting spin on an Aladdin story. But I'm watching this movie. Hey, my anybody could have directed this. It didn't feel like Guy Ritchie to right. me. Right, right. You know what? And that's going to be my point later when I do my review Barbie. That's what that's going yeah. to be my thing a little bit down the road. It's Plus you, you got know, Will Smith doing auto tune, man. <laughs> oh, heck no. Yeah, it's like yeah, you bring these directors in, and I think this we so again. I'm not going to rant again, but like we said this before with Kathleen Kennedy and the D and mm-hmm. DC at Warner Brothers, you got to trust. You gotta, let them do their thing. You hire yeah. them for their certain vision. Let them do their thing. I do think that I think Kevin Feige was definitely really like. Allowing, to, allowing, I think during the Infinity Saga, I think definitely like they were allowing them, you know, do their thing. But then mm-hmm. you can't get, you can't get too comfortable. Or again, say, again, I think what I heard was like it was too dark for uh, Scott Derrickson version. And I'm like, well, he delivered you a great first movie, and then he yeah. did Black Phone afterwards, and Black Phone was awesome. Black was a really f- original and great summer mo- black horror movie, and I was like, that worked. So why can't you just yeah. like Black Black Phone was dope, and to to your point about it. Because you said someone said like the 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 uh, the Derrickson version might have been a little bit too dark. Yeah, if it's damn, how do I say this? If you're gonna hire a director kind of based on what they've done in the past, you gotta let them do that. Now, exactly. because Kevin Feige and to to an extent Disney, like this is kind of the type of stories we want to tell. Yeah, you like hire the director, let them do their thing, but you know, still kind of keep them within the framework that you're trying to set up sure but don't make it so that the film is indistinguishable from any other director like if if Derrickson wanted to do wanted to do a horror movie here's what they here's what they could have done right 
Because also I know like the pandemic kind of fucked up some of the uh, the release dates of this of these movies, but oh, huge. You got you got Derrickson. He did the first Doctor Strange, and like you got kind of little. This kind of feels like a Derrickson movie, but like you know, uh, it seems like there's some Disney mandates going on in here, like that little Beyonce yeah. reference and some of the humors. I'm kind of like I'm not feeling that, my boy. But <laughs> you know, you could use that as like you know, yeah, Derrickson. We got to kind of restrain you just a little bit because this is only the first Doctor Strange movie, and you know, we're just we're kind of testing the waters because also this is a character that hasn't been on the silver screen yet. Okay, bet. Here's Doctor Strange. Here's the first one. And then when it's time for the, the next one, let him do a little bit more of his thing. Let him delve into like what makes Scott Derrickson Scott Derrickson. Right. You feel me? Like right. let him tell a story where maybe um the 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 main villain is that nightmare character and it's it's trippy, more horrific stuff. Like don't let him make a rated R Doctor Strange movie. I'm not saying all of that, but like let him just kind of like put some more of that Derrickson flavor in there and but still try to tie it in with the overall narrative that you're trying to tell. But because it's like them switching him out for Raimi, it just kind of it feels like like what, what was the point? It didn't even always right. feel like there were certain points where it felt like a Raimi film. But that's the thing. It's it's certain points. It didn't just feel like generally. Oh, oh, bet. Okay, Sam Raimi made this movie. I can tell just by watching it. Not only knew that yeah. because they they have been saying it. So and it's like they didn't even let him really just go full Raimi. And with the Doctor Strange movie too, bro. That that would have been fucking fire. So I don't. Oh man. What could have been, right? What could got my been? blood pressure all up, man? Jeez, <laughs> Louise. I, I wish, I wish we had like a sponsor to do. Like, yeah, speaking of speaking of uh, blood pressure, but we don't. <laughs> for, not that, not there yet, guys. Um, but yeah, what, man, it's way. It would, it could have been. It, what, what could have been? And I do think that, like, you know, Sam Raimi delivered some really good stuff with this, with the to- with the OG Spider Man trilogy, mm-hmm. and you know, stuff like Evil Dead, Drug Me to Hell. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of like iconic stuff, um, minus the Wizard of Oz, that Wizard of Oz, yeah, Wizard of Oz prequel, that shit was boo-boo AF. Um, <laughs> Wizard of Oz, with, with, uh, with James Franco? Oh, God, dude, I saw that in high school with my brother, and I was like, Yo. yeah, I was like, yep, this isn't for me, chief. <laughs> I, I saw it, I was just kind of like, I'm like, well, what is going on here? Like, because yeah. in, in the Wizard of Oz, in the first one, it was like, okay, maybe it was just a dream. But then, the and spoilers for those of y'all who haven't seen Sam Raimi's Oz the Great and Powerful, but the first one, it's like, okay, it was all a dream. But then it's a prequel, and the guy actually did go there. I was kind of like, hold on. Because also, like, all you know, all the characters are played by this, all the characters in the Land of Oz are played by the same actors in, like, the real you know, like sepia tone world. I was because like I remember like uh what's his name? Zach Braff was a monkey or some shit. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I'm I'm watching it. I'm kinda like he's interacting with this monkey. I'm like, do you not understand? do you not recognize that that's your best friend's voice? You don't think that's weird at all or what? It was just kinda I'm like, yeah, y'all didn't need to make this movie. And Mila Kunis as the 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 Green Witch cap. I, I don't see that at all, bro. Dude, I can't even <laughs> I I honestly I, I remember that that's it. But if you t- if you like put me in interrogation, you go what happened to Osgrain the Powerful? I couldn't tell you anything. It's been what over ten years now. So that oh, movie yeah. once I just forgot about that movie entirely. All that I'm saying this movie sucked. I remember I remember walking out like that movie sucked. That's all I remember <laughs> of that movie whatsoever. I was like, yep, 
Not for me, Chief, but again, yeah. I just trust your filmmakers. Trust your filmmakers. You have them for a reason. Again, you heard, yeah. you heard me. You're, you're his rant before in other episodes, whether it's Warner Brothers and David Ayer or Kathleen Kennedy and Phil Laura Chris Miller or Warner Brothers and Zack Snyder, as we all know, too. Trust your filmmakers. You know, mm-hmm. you can obviously have, you always have disagreements, but when you, when you get too overreact, when you get too reactionary, you don't get good results. You get stuff that's, that's very mid or, you know, you got to have input. Always have input for sure. Always have input. But don't be like, don't micromanage. Again, I'm not, I'm not a filmmaker. I'm not, we're not studio heads, whatever. But yeah. I just feel like it's a less stressful time when you're not micromanaging people um, or, you know, just kind of interfering on time. Because, you know, when, when you're, when you're, you know, we're, all, we're all creative artists. We're all artists here and creative people here. It's, you know, it's when you have, when you, when you get people to do their thing. It really shows, like, wow, this person has a lot of talent, a lot, of, a lot of creation to a lot of creative aspects to them. Let them do the thing. But again, we don't, we don't live in a perfect world. But I hope that you know, maybe post strike, that we're gonna, we're gonna see more people trusting their filmmakers and let them do their thing. Because I think that we've seen with director cuts and extended cuts, it works. It works, and it, and it has good results too. Not some kind of boo boo crap. Nothing kind of like, oh, this movie was awful. No, it shows results. So when in doubt, I feel like have input, but also just you know, trust your, your creative vision. You know, it's it's why we're all collaborators. Why we all collaborate in you know in creative and filmmaking and entertainment because you know it's a collaborative art no matter what. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyway, so now back to it though. Box office wise, yes, it's been a very piss poor summer of <laughs> yes. stuff, stuff flopping you know you, you know you know i saw indiana jones saw fast we, you know i saw fast right before it came out and we were like mm-hmm. oh it's probably gonna do well and it did for a fast movie it did moderately modestly well there was better i think other movies did well better like i think uh fates and seven and six five did a lot better but internationally the movie, these movies are a huge hit a huge huge hit Mm-hmm. Um, it it re- it really just like it's it's like it was a really big hit. But I was like, all right, cool. Little Mermaid did modestly well. Didn't hear much about it box office wise after it kind of came out. And it was again Transformers and Flash, and then Indeed went too well. And then uh, Mission Impossible did pretty well for the most part. They were kind of hoping Top Gun numbers, but I think they released it kind of weird. It was like midweek. They they didn't know about it midweek, and they came out on Friday and the weekend. So if you look at the box office, look at the five day production, five day um, gross, because that's the real estimate. Um, So now with this is the summer. This is the weekend that you got Barbie and Oppenheimer coming. The two the last two big movies coming out for the summer. Um, I've seen both of them, luckily. So I'm gonna start with Oppenheimer first. You know, I think Chris Nolan. Deserves to go first. I love Greg Gerwig and I love Margot Robbie. I love Ryan Gosling. But I think Oppenheimer is one that I was kind of looking forward to more, given the nature of it, given Christopher Nolan as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. This, for starters, too, I I think you and I both agree. We're Chris Nolan fans, but unlike some people we interacted with in college, we're, yeah, we're, we're not, Nolan fans like up to a point. Like we we right. fuck with his movies a hundred percent they're dope he's a he's an amazing filmmaker a legendary filmmaker but legendary unlike some of those people from college that you just mentioned we don't think he needs to be directing every single Everything. movie he's, he's not the end-all be-all like director there i don't think even in my opinion there's no filmmaker that just is like oh he he or she is just the greatest at at everything filmmaking related it's, it's not like that but like he's he's that guy low key you know what i mean like he, he definitely kills it every time yeah no he's he puts on a, he's a 
he's a just an amazing director. He's an amazing filmmaker. Mm-hmm. He really does. But there are some things that like other movies that I, I don't really care for. Like it's good, whatever. Sure. Like for for example, before I do my review, I think Dunkirk's a very Southern College. It's a it's a very well made movie. We saw it on seventy millimeter seventy millimeter film, and that was a really cool experience too. But I you, I couldn't tell I couldn't tell you anyone's character's name or really kind of what happened at times because it just it, it, it didn't stick with me as much as maybe like a Dark Knight or Interstellar do, Interstellar did or a Tenant if you ask me. I oh, just didn't yeah. feel invested in that. So going in, like, I was kind of like, okay, c- c- coming off Tenet, which I, again, I love Tenet, by the way. I think we, we saw that we saw that during <laughs> we saw that during uh, the, the pandemic at the at the drive-in. Ooh, um, sure did. And you know that was I loved that movie for different reasons because I think it was just it was definitely like it was a cool more like Inception kind of base. It was kind of like him doing James Bond. And I I thought him casting John David Washington was just brilliant casting. That, that's what sold me on the movie right there. I'm like, okay, bad, bad. Because also at that point, I hadn't even seen John David Washington in anything yet. I saw, I saw Tenet, and then you told me about Ballers. So yeah. then after Tenet, I just, I basically just binged Ballers. I'm like, okay, I, I get it, I get it now, Nolan. <laughs> Dude, and I, I remember your article like why he casted him because he casted him because of Black Klansman, which I think is one of my probably my favorite, if not my favorite, Spike Lee movie. And I don't know, I don't really know too much. I know he was Denzel's son. I know he played uh, football professionally at one point. But I was like, okay, cool. And I remember, I remember seeing the trailer for Black Klansman. And I was like, you know, Spike Lee's kind of hit or miss for me sometimes. I think his most recent up wasn't as good as his, like you know stuff like Do the Right Thing, um, and you know Malcolm X and uh, Inside Man. But I was like, oh, this kid has chops. Who was this kid? And I was like, it's Denzel's kid. And I was like, well, that makes sense. Uh, it's a very talented family. He, Denzel's the goat. And I was like, okay, cool. That's, that was really cool seeing that. I like, cool. I'm into it. Then I heard that, yeah, he cast him because of Black Klansman. But Chris Nolan said, I'm a big fan of Ballers. And I said, no way. Chris Nolan watches the show Ballers. Get the hell out of here. I said, get the hell out of here. And I was like, yep, I am a fan of Ballers. And again, it was really smart on him for casting a great actor like uh, John David Washington, but also like he was an up and coming talent where it kind of gave him a name, kind of like, you know, I, I guess I am my dad's son, but I'm not, I'm not a Nepo baby. I, I really did kind of, I earned this. I really did earn mm-hmm. this, uh, this, uh, this role. And I, I remember reading, 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 reading an article about it. And he was just saying like, I was so happy. I wanted this role more than anything in my life. This is what I wanted the most. And I'm like, good for him. He manifested it and he got it. So that was I was really I love Tenet, but anyway. So again, going to Oppenheimer, I was kind of like it's another historical movie. You know, I don't care if Dunkirk as much; it's well made. But I was like, I don't know. We'll see. Sorry with the pros. I think this movie is a masterclass in filmmaking and acting. Truly, everyone—I mean, everyone's on top of their game from direction to cinematography to production design to acting. It really is like wow. This is why this is why we go to the movies. This is why filmmaking exists because everyone bringing their A game. Killian Murphy. I think I I think I remember seeing Killian Murphy for the first time in Scarecrow and Scarecrow and Batman Begins mm-hmm. and. It was very kind of like he had something kind of like I don't know some kind of weirdly about him that like made you kind of remember his face you know it was made because of his you know uh, his jawline or you know his cheekbones but he he really did a good job with scarecrows because it really felt like something new but also it was like who is this guy I don't know who he was before and he stuck with me a lot as a kid when he as scarecrow I was like that shit was scary and again it just as an a performance as an actor I was like oh that's that's the guy from. Uh, that scarecrow from uh, Batman Begins. Right. Um, this is his movie, man. Like literally, this is his movie. I think this is like you know. I haven't seen Peaky Blinders. I know Joel will kill me if I, if I tell him that. They tell me this is like, like you should watch Peaky Blinders yet. 
this is really his movie. I think it truly showcases his talent and utilizes him as a leading man for once. I think we've seen before lost like I think he was definitely a co-leading man in Quiet Place too. But this was kind of like for my for me personally, this was kind of his first real time as a leading man in a big movie like this. Again, I think he again he was in Inception, he was in Dunkirk, he was in Batman Begins and the Dark Knight trilogy. But to me, this is my first time seeing him in a really big tentpole movie, spectacle movie that he's a leading man. And by God, man, he really kills it. He's a he's a he's a phenomenal actor. And I was like, he owns this role. You know, and also too, it always blows me away that he's a really really thick, thick, thick Irish accent. Didn't slip up once in this two, in this three hour movie. I was like, good on him, man. He had a really? good dialect, dude. I swear, man, good dialect, coach. Because I was like, wow, I was very impressed that like he sounded like Oppenheimer. Like he had he had like the 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 the, the voice down to a crisp, and I was like, wow, good like, on his the dude. inflections and everything. Everything, man. I watched a little video after the screening of like Oppenheimer stuff, and I was like, dude, Killian Murphy did a fucking fantastic job of like really doing a good like not impersonation, but kind of like just really doing like a good job of just like embodying him as a person. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was, I was, I, I wanted to see Oppenheimer before, but Doug, you made you made me want to see it even more now. Like it's it's on my list. I haven't had a chance to see it yet, but you got me more excited to actually watch it, man. Dude, yeah, no, it's. And I'll tell you why too. So the other reasons why. Also, Robert Downey Jr. Man, this is his kind of first real role post Iron Man and Avengers. I'm not gonna mention Doolittle, you know, just did because her movie was awful, like god awful. Um, yeah, boy, I've heard man, ain't no one talking about that movie anymore, man. No, that movie had uh-uh. that movie had Blade for years, 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 had so many different writers, dude. Robert Downey Jr., I think this might be his one, if not his best performance, too. It's a supporting role, but man, I watch him, I'm like, I don't see Iron Man anymore. I see this guy, he's played this guy named Struss, who is kind of like during the time post um, atomic bomb was created, post you know, uh, Trinity test. He was just like, he was just like, whoa, he was really into this. But watching Robert Downey Jr., I'm like, he's a phenomenal actor. I mean, we all know Tropic Thunder and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and other, other movies too. But like, you know, past decade or so, he's been Iron Man for most people. But I think it was smart on him to get out of the Iron Man spotlight for, for now for his career mm-hmm. and really do something great with this role. And by God, man, he kills it too. I think he was just as good, if not better, than Killian Murphy because. Downey has a for even a small amount of screen time compared to other actor other characters. Really, man, Downey Jr. owns this role and gives a phenomenal performance. While I was like, this is what Chris Nolan does. He gets performance out of people like this and really kind of shows them like how talented I am outside of my normal kind of like genre, which for him it was Iron Man for a while. I'll tell you what, Nick, you have and I repeat, I'll see it again with you. You have to see this movie, bro. On 70 millimeter 143 IMAX. You and I have seen a lot of IMAX stuff in our, in our, in our, in our times, but this stuff for us, for our listeners, we're in the Phoenix area. We have really one true IMAX, which is the Arizona Mills IMAX here in Tempe. Nick and I have seen the Avengers, all the Marvel movies, uh, you know, Blade Runner, all stuff in IMAX. This to me, really, because it's the first time that AZ, I think it's the first time AZ Mills is doing this in Dark Knight. It's the full top to bottom IMAX, dude. Full one four three, mm-hmm. ceiling to bottom, dude. We we have seen at we still have IMAX movies there, but we only saw the one nine zero ratio, not the full one four three. This okay. is the first time we're seeing the one four three at AZ Mills IMAX, our personal IMAX theater that we go to. Are they are they still? How long are they going to be showing it at that IMAX? I might have to just pop on over there tomorrow. 
you good luck a lot of them are sold out <laughs> a lot of them are sold out oh um, i was in the front I'll, t- I'll text you after the show so we, so we can do but yeah <laughs> dude there's literally it's literally the for Damn. three weeks only for the first time in our, in our imax 143 70 millimeter film this is the first time that our imax is doing it so i was what the first okay i heard heard our theater can do 143 finally because i i saw stuff like the tenant there i saw the movies there games like Blade Runner there saw top gun there it wasn't the full or nope was there i never saw the full 143 it is literally bro the top to bottom imax the entire screen is covered with with footage and i was like wow. i was just i was immersed dude i was like i wish we got in that in other movies but i guess harkins made didn't have the I don't know, maybe the clearances, whatever. But if you can see this movie in one four three IMAX to our listeners, to you, Nick, and seven millimeter film, it is beautiful. It is beautiful. It brought tears to my eyes at times. So I'm like looking at how amazing this is. I'm like, wow, this is literally filmmaking at its finest. Like Chris Nolan knows knows what to do. And I'm hoping more movies for our our personal IMAX will do the one four three like Dune two. I'm praying do the way one four three for Dune two because man. I think we have some really cool one nine zero ratio IMAX movies there, but I'm telling you, Nick, we have never experienced like this before. I mean, I mean, maybe I have in Dark Knight in Chicago 15 years ago, but truly, man, it is the first time that our IMAX theater is doing the one four three, and it is literally top to bottom. The entire screen is covered for certain for certain um, for certain for certain scenes, not, 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 not the whole movie, unfortunately, but certain scenes. So okay. if you see this, if you see this movie in seventy millimeter IMAX one four three, it is beautiful. It is beautiful. It's the only way to see this movie. Hundred percent. It is incredible. Matt Damon, Florence Pugh, Josh Hartnett, David Cromwell, and a bunch of other supporting actors have great performances. And I was kind of like, it's gonna be kind of like gimmick. Like, oh, look at this actor. Look at this actor. Look at this actor. Like Josh Peck. Well, look at uh, you know uh, Jack Quaid. All the smaller actors, even though I don't call them cameos, they're very smaller performances. But really, all of them have, they play a big part of the movie overall. It could be, it could be a few scenes here and there, but, the, but their, their meaning, their character meaning, has a really big importance to the entire movie whatsoever. I'm like, that's very really smart to have these small, these, these definitely noticeable actors, they really play a big part of the movie whatsoever. I do like the use of black and white, because they're, they're not used for flashback scenes, they're kind of used for flash forward scenes. And I was like, huh, interesting. It's my first time seeing a 70 millimeter black and white film and an IMAX, IMAX black and white film. And it was very cool to see how they did it with like, instead of the flashback, it was flash forward black and white. Very kind of cool technical filmmaking aspect that he did. Um, I said before, it's a better historical drama than Dunkirk, if you ask me. I felt more invested in the character and the story. I knew, I knew people's names finally. Because <laughs> Dunkirk, it was like Harry Styles plays soldier number three question mark we didn't we didn't know their names and i was like okay i just didn't know anyone's name so it was cool knowing their names this time i'll be honest with you i don't even remember harry styles in that movie like i know that he objectively i know that he was in the movie but up until dunkirk i hadn't i wasn't really exposed to to harry styles at all so i didn't know what he looked like so that was kind of like i watched the movie like wow okay like yeah. I recognize, uh, you know, Tom Hardy and um, Kenneth exactly. Branagh and everybody, but I was like, who the fuck? Like, I know that he, he was in. I know that he was in One Direction, but again, I just, <laughs> I did not follow that group at all. So I'm like, okay, like, and I remember it was like, yo, Harry Styles is in a Nolan movie. I'm like, the guy from One Direction. Okay, cool, I guess. But it was still like, what's he look like? 
Which one is he? Yeah, it was like yeah. which one of these which one of these white British dudes is Harry Styles? Oh, <laughs> uh, I think that one. I even, even even I was like, who's that? Who's who again? And I was like, yeah. but my point exactly. And also, I'll ask you this: Do you remember? Do you remember Kenneth Branagh or Tom Hardy's characters' names? Because I don't. I remember. Uh, I remember two scenes with them. I remember Tom Hardy was in a plane, and I remember <laughs> Kenneth Branagh was on a boat. Actually, no, with, with Tom Hardy, there was one scene, I think it was at the end, which I, I just thought this was a cool shot. It was, it was yeah. him standing on the beach. His plane was um, his plane was in flames, bars. And, <laughs> and but like Kenneth Brown, I'm like, nah. Like, <laughs> I, was, I was like, Kenneth Brown, I was in this movie too? Dang. Yeah. But no, I, I, I embarrassed to say, I don't remember none of their names. Um, and like... I feel not like bad about saying this. Like Dunkirk, it was a good movie. Like technically, it was made well, and you know, it's yeah. Nolan. Like Nolan doesn't really do bad movies, but this movie just overall, it wasn't as impactful to me. I didn't feel like it. Kind of just felt like a historical drama. It didn't really feel like, um, oh wow, I can't wait to see what he does with this movie because he has right. really creative ideas like Inception, Tenet, Interstellar. Yes, you know stuff like that. Like Prestige, that's like wow, Memento. Yeah, like it's like wow, that's some interesting. It's like those are like interesting concepts, but like Dunkirk just kind of felt like maybe if I rewatch it, I'll feel differently. But it kind of just felt like, um, you know, this is some stuff that happened in World War Two. Yeah, no, no, it. Yeah, no, it's something that I I own most of his movies, and I, honestly, I own Dunkirk, but I'm like I never like really go back and watch it. I watch Dunkirk again. I'm like, yeah, it's on, it's on. But I'm not gonna go out of my way to watch it. But I do think I would, that this I would movie, flip the channel. Fuck that. Yeah, I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> next, I was like, I I rather put on I rather put on Dark Knight, Interstellar, Tenet, Inception, in a heartbeat, in a heartbeat. Yes. Um. So with that, like I said, it was really cool that I, I this was definitely a historical drama from Nolan, but I felt more invested in the characters and the story, what was going on. A little convoluted at times, but I still felt invested. Mm-hmm. I think the sound and the sound mixing on this is very better. I think with Tenet. It was hard to hear dialogue sometimes. Well, not his fault. You know, he won the full IMAX experience, but I, which I get. But the sound mixing was definitely better in this one, I think, better than this. I think even Dunkirk 2 was kind of loud. You couldn't hear, like, even people yelling on the beach. I was like, what are they saying? It just felt like <laughs> it was kind of, like, not mixed well. This had better mixing. But overall, mm-hmm. man, this movie really is a... Before, before we get to the cons, I definitely feel this movie is one... I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say it's no one's best movie, personally, but I do say it's worth seeing in theaters because the acting in the, in the technical filmmaking, the IMAX, the photography is really beautiful. And Ludwig Gordon's, uh, Ludwig Gordon's uh, score, you know, Ludwig did Tenet, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Black Panther, the first Black Panther, a lot of great scores. There's so much ads to it. Like, this feels like a really spectacle Hollywood drama, but you feel so intrigued by the acting, the storytelling, everything. And I was like, I was really sitting, I was like, I was blown away of like just watching this movie on the big on the IMAX. I was like, wow, this acting is a masterclass and all of it. But like I said, now to the cons. For a three hour movie, it's long. And, you know, mm. at, at first I was like, okay, the, I'm, I'm, I, the pace was a little, the pace was not too bad. All right, okay, it's fine, it's fine. But then it picked up a lot too in the middle. But then after a day thinking about it, I was like, Ooh, you know, the pace kind of bothered me a little bit more. I said my out of theater reaction that the pace didn't bother me as much. Thinking back on it, it, it kind of bothered me a little bit because it was like he, he wants to cram in a lot of stuff. Not, not a lot of stuff, but like he wants to introduce a lot of stuff. But, you know, give it but definitely give it time to like, hey, let it breathe, let it digest. It's a lot mm-hmm. of like a lot of things happen, a lot of setup, a lot of like, you know, setup for like what's going to happen later on. Both too long. I think there's times where it could have been trimmed a bit, like most of his movies, too. I, I think all of his movies. There are times where it could have been trimmed a bit. Where like I guess it's been a little bit tighter here and there, but overall, it just it definitely felt 
It definitely felt a little long at times, but it didn't bother me too much. Like, me saw other movies I've seen this past year. I also, too, I love Emily Blunt. I think she's one of my favorite actresses. She's amazing. I think she's amazing in Looper, Edge of Tomorrow. I think she's a great Mary Poppins. I didn't feel the chemistry between her and um, Killian Murphy at all. She plays his wife, Kitty Oppenheimer. I don't feel... I don't really feel the chemistry, and when they're on screen together, it just didn't kind of feel kind of stale at times. Mm. Not her, I won't say her, her performance is bad. I think her performance is really good. But there was no chemistry. I didn't find the chemistry between the two of them. And I do think they could have used her more. She's in, she's in a lot of scenes, but she's kind of like not utilized as much as I wanted her to be. I was like, yo, you have a great, you have a phenomenal actress here. I think an Oscar nominated actress too, that you could have used a lot of her more or used her kind of angle as her as his wife and the mother of his two children i do wish they kind of utilized more I mean, you have a great actress here you could have done a lot more with her but that's kind of me just saying oh, as, as like a yeah, big fan of her um i do okay again as an imax fanboy i am an imax you know like kiss asser for sure <laughs> there i do i've seen this before in michael bay movies and some, some of the marvel movies too if, if you're gonna use imax use imax fully there's a lot of scenes where it would be like a quick, like one second, two, one or two second tops, a quick look at something in the full IMAX thing, and then back to the regular um, uh, aspect ratio. And it's kind of like quick limbs back, 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 back to the normal ratio. And I'm like, yeah, just use the full IMAX, use the full IMAX then. Don't do a little quick one second uh, full, full screen of IMAX and go back to it. Because I, I, I know for Transformers 5, I did that, and my head was killing me that time. I was like, yeah, because well, also other reasons too. Like also all of that back and forth, it's just it's a little distracting. So yes, like yes. I'm not saying necessarily any movie should do this, but I do kind of wonder what would it be like if an entire film was just filmed in IMAX. Have, have they done that before? Yeah, we saw Endgame Finney where it was filmed in fully well, not full it's not fully it was one night ago. So it was filmed in IMAX. So yes, we, we you know I have seen Blade Runner twenty four nine example. That was the one nine zero IMAX. We we have seen that, and that was oh, No Way Home example too. That was fully one nine zero. So we have so we have seen we have seen not the full, but we have seen an IMAX. We have we have seen IMAX versions of movies that was completely full in IMAX, and it works. Okay. And it works. I think No Way Home did well. Blade Runner twenty forty nine, um, Infinity War, Endgame used it very well too because it was the it was the one nine zero. It was it didn't change at all, which was very smart on them. But when they do, when you do certain scenes in IMAX, I think Jordan put a good job of balancing both of them. It wasn't like a quick shot and that was it. But mm-hmm. I think Nolan has done this before. Michael Bay's done this before, and some other, I think maybe Top Gun may have done it too. Where the quick one sh- one second shot, boom, back. It's it's distracting. It's like just use use it, use it, use it, use it. So that again, I'm an IMAX a lover, IMAX appreciator. That kind of bothered me a little bit, a little nitpicky, I know. And I'll and I'll end on this too. They really kept saying, oh, Albert Einstein, this and that. They mentioned him a lot. And they, he's in the movie. He's in the movie for sure. But to me, it was just like you had him there just because like, he's like a historical, you know, you know huge, histor- huge historical figure. Mm. It, it was interesting, but I don't think that was fully developed because he was in certain scenes. I was like, oh, he's just there. He's kind of being an old man, basically. And I was like, oh, come on, Nolan. I think Nolan... Knows how to write better dialogue. I mean, not, not, not bad dialogue, but it was just like I think he could develop him a bit more because he's a really important historical figure. But it it just really felt like yeah, I just throw him in there because he was around at the time. You know, he had some kind of connection to Oppenheimer. I don't feel like it would. It could have. It felt like you could have mentioned him maybe off screen, not include him because he really didn't add anything to the movie. The ending might have. I mean, it, it might. I might, people might feel different about the ending how he's included in it, but. I don't, I don't, I think he could have been, I think he 
could have been written out or just mentioned off screen because he didn't really add anything for me. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. with that, with that said, I don't get it's not his not his best movie personally. I do feel like Tenet, Interstellar, Dark Knight, Inception are better movies. I mm. will say that if you're a Chris Nolan fan, if you're a filmmaking fan, you're an IMAX fan, or you're a fan of the these actors, see this in IMAX, see this on the big screen possible, see this in theaters, because this movie really is made for the theaters. If you wait to watch it on whatever, Apple TV, streaming, VOD, you're doing something a disservice because movies meant for the big screen like how he, most of his movies do. So I will give this movie an eight out of t- solid 8 out of 10, because I do have problems with it. But overall, it was something that I was looking forward to, and it definitely it definitely met my expectations. I'm gl- so glad I saw this in IMAX. So glad I saw the theaters because I had a great time with it. Despite my flaws, I thought this movie was phenomenal, and it's definitely worth watching in theaters. Ooh, yeah, uh, I'm definitely so, gonna see it. 100%. Yes, you gotta see it in IMAX. It's it's it's, li- it's literally an experience like no other. Um, so with that, again, before I do my Barbie review, let's do let's do this. Favorite Chris Nolan movie, my friend, out of all his filmography, what's the movie that you go back to almost? If you had to choose a movie over and over again, which movie would you pick from Nolan's uh, filmography? If I could only pick one Christopher Nolan movie, like my absolute top favorite, I gotta go with Tenet because you yeah. had this earlier. John David Washington, that's my boy. Um, uh, he's never done a, a bad performance, in my opinion. And seeing him as a lead, first off, seeing a black man in as the lead in a Nolan film, that was really cool. Plus, yes. it's it's time travel. I love time travel stuff. Like, bro, like that. That's my favorite. Like, especially when it's done right. And not only was it done right in this movie but it was done in a way that i hadn't seen it before because like it's it would be easy to kind of just look at it and say okay well some of this shit is just moving in reverse and that's that's the whole thing but no like they break it down in the movie it's not that it's moving in reverse we're just perceiving it in reverse like everything is still kind of moving in a natural way everything's moving the way it's supposed to be moving but it's just kind of like out you know we're just we're, we're looking at it from from a different from a different angle basically so i thought i thought that that was really interesting and it's it's funny too that um uh you brought up oppenheimer because if i remember correctly they they referenced oppenheimer in uh tenet so i remember there was um i seen like something on youtube like it was this theory like oh man like oppenheimer is a it's a secret prequel to, to tenet because like yeah, within the movie, they said, like, Oppenheimer did his thing, and then yada, 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 later on, someone else invented, like, time travel, but it was kind of, like, in a way, like, because of Oppenheimer or something like that, or it was, like, kind of, like, a similar, um, a similar event as Oppenheimer, like, they both did this thing, and it basically kind of just, it changed everything, and this one thing that they did was the most dangerous thing, or at least one of the most dangerous things in human history, so I thought that that was really cool, but, uh, but no, yeah, attended. 10 at 10 at 10 at 10 at 10 at. I love that movie. That, that's my favorite Nolan movie by far. Dude, it's so, it's so good. Yeah, dude, I, I mean, I was struggling to pick my favorite one this week. I was going back and forth. Like, I love 10, I love Interstellar, I love uh, Dark Knight. Uh, but I'm like, oh, I agree. I think him, it's also too, I love him using new talent, him using young talent. I think he knew that really well with stuff like with Christian Bale when he was not, not young, but like he's kind of up and coming for that. Yeah. DiCaprio obviously was established, but then like you got stuff like um, Jessica Chastain, uh, you know, a lot of actors. But I feel like, yes, you have your this is his first movie with a, with a black lead. 
who are you going to pick? You picked a phenomenal actor with John David Washington. And I was, I remember being in London, I heard the news. I was like, yes, Chris Nolan. Yes, 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 yes. As a fan of Ballers and a fan of Black Klansmen, I was like, this dude can act. You picked, the, you picked a phenomenal actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very, it was such a, it was such, again, he also, too, is that I think what, 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 what Tennant did so well, too, is that he, he him and Johnny Washington worked so well because he's kind of playing a Bond in a way. Of like yeah. a Bond, if no it, was, it was a Nolan James Bond movie, right? So that's, it was that's, that's cool in that aspect also. And it, was, it was a very modern take on a. I get, I love Daniel Craig movies for sure, his Bond movies, but pretend it kind of felt like it really a modern day Bond with time travel and espionage and science fiction. And it was just again, you you really did a great job making that kind of like a voice of our generation. I feel like picking John David Washington as your as your leading man. But it's definitely up there. I, I, I'm going back and forth all week, man. I, and I, I'm trying to pick which one my favorite one. I love Interstellar for many reasons, too. I saw that movie seven millimeter, 70 millimeter with some friends in high school. That was an experience like no other. But I was robbed of seeing that in IMAX. I remember my dad, my brother, and I went to go to college store, actually. We got to the theater. It was like, yep, first row only. And I was like, oh. And then a like, week after, it was already gone. I was like, no. Oh, damn. I was like, no, I was so bummed, dude. I was, and I'm hoping IMAX brings movies like this back to their, like theaters. I would love to see Interstellar on IMAX. I heard that was just experience like no other. And I was like, damn it. But I think <laughs> Tenet would be number two. I know it's going to be cliche and, and I would beg to say, but Dark Knight, and here's why. Here's, here's why. Again, it's very kind of, oh, really, Dark Knight, common choice. <laughs> I remember being 10 years old when, I came, when that movie came out. And my dad really wait. My dad like it was because he was shot in Chicago. I, I I remember living by where some of it was filmed. I remember like the like the, the car the, the uh, where he crashed the Lamborghini. Um, mm-hmm. The car that was near my that was near my building growing up in Chicago. So I was like this movie was like, cool. It was, it was filmed in my filmed in my na- my neighborhood basically. It was like movie was filmed in my city. And I like, that's that's the reason why I love that movie too. But I remember just like hearing how oh, Heath Ledger this now it's crazy. You know, oh my gosh, this is like this is this is like this is so different. And then I remember my dad, he, I learned this from him. He did not want to take me to some movie in the regular format. He goes, we're going to see this movie in IMAX. Because he heard all this, the first movie shot, it was the first movie ever, sorry, first Hollywood narrative movie to shoot in IMAX cameras. Chris Nolan was the first one to do it. Because before Ooh. it was used in like documentaries about the sea and nature and Titanic, whatever. But this was the first Hollywood mainstream narrative feature to use IMAX cameras. And my dad was like, you know what? I'm going to take Doug to IMAX. I'm going to wait. We waited like a few weeks, by the way, too, to see his movie at IMAX. And by God, it was worth the wait. Because I remember, I remember seeing the full 143 whole screen. I was like, this is, ping me. I was like, this is so different. I was like, what am I watching? This is really different. The high scene, obviously, it was like, I was like, wow. And as a kid, the Joker scared the shit out of me. And then even the sound and Hans Zimmer's score, the, Look at that, that little sharp razor. The, yo, the that score had me fucked up as a kid, man. I was like, yo, what the hell is going on? Right? And I remember, again, I'm, I'll, I'll admit this. I was a kid. I was like, oh my god, I can't, I can't look at this. But he goes, he goes, how? Him and uh, Michael J. White when he when he gets his goon, when he gets his squad, get those guys. He goes, uh-huh. he puts a knife in the mouth. I was like, oh no, 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 no. As a kid, I was like, I can't see. But it just really stuck with me as a kid. I was like, oh my god, ten years old. I was like, oh my god, this is like this is different. I never felt like this before. I mean, maybe Spider Man, Spider Man too, for sure. But as oh, a yeah. kid, I was like, I, was, I knew I was watching something different at ten years old. I was like, this is different before. And then seeing the bat thing that when, the tr- when the truck flips in IMAX and seeing you know that was dope. That was throw, incredible. Right, all practical too. Seeing him throw, seeing him throw Joker off the you know the tower. 
it was just to me, I was like, as a kid, I was just like, this is so different. And then obviously Harvey Dent's the, the, uh, the makeup. It was like, as a kid, it creeped me out. I don't know about you. I was like, Ooh, <laughs> I, was I, like, actually, I loved it. Cause I'm like, no, that actually, cause in, in the cartoons, whenever like he becomes, um, two face, like in, in the animated series with Kevin Conroy, rest in peace, like his, his face was like half light blue and the the that lip was kind of like sticking up a lot you can see his teeth and it's like that that's a cool design i'm not sure i understand how that happened by getting blown up in the face like i don't why would it turn your skin blue like that but whatever and then the the tommy lee jones version which is the first version of two-face i'd ever seen yeah um, that like he, he had a really cool and fun design and like i like you see him and like instantly like okay i get it this is two-faced and like he is like duality and juxtaposition and blah 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 but in the flashback they're like what they were saying like oh this is how he became two-faced and it was like yeah someone threw some acid in his face and even as a little kid bro like i'm looking at the screen and i'm like the way the acid was thrown in his face how would it perfectly Right. go down like vertically down his body i'm like wouldn't it just it look like it hit him like he would be scarred for sure but it also it's like it only hit his face so why is like his hair pink too right like, i was like I, I i don't i don't get this i used to piss my mom off with shit like that because i'd be like well mom why does he do this and she's like nick it's a fucking batman movie bro relax she's like just watch this shit <laughs> this I'm is like, why i can't this is why we're at the film school, and now we're filmmakers and, and writers. Hell this yeah. Is, but she, also you knew to, <laughs> no, yeah, like, also to your point, though, like, just the, the design of Two-Face in the Dark Knight, like, that's that's my favorite design of them. That's my favorite, like, kind of visual representation of them, because I'm like, yeah, like, it's, it's, it's very real world, and I'm like, I, I buy that. Like, half the face got burnt off, and, like, they still even, like, the way um you see his teeth, like, the way the mouth is kind of shaped in that area... It's still true to, to the comics because yeah. in the comics, like he 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 would like have that part of the lip there, but that part of the lip would always be sticking up. So I like how Chris Nolan did like a very realistic version of it, and they're like, it, it's not acid that like changed the color of his skin and his hair. Right. This motherfucker's a burn victim, bro. He's like, you're <laughs> in agonizing pain, but the doctor said you don't want to accept skin grafts. So I'm like, so when I'm like watching this movie, I'm like, yo, he is on one, man. Like that's that's some like. <laughs> This man has some fucking like black Air Force One energy. Like half yeah. my face is burnt off. I can't blink in this eye, but I'm still like when he took the shot of that out of that um like that that brandy, whatever the fuck was at that bar, I'm like, uh like realistically, you you can't drink that without just being in excruciating pain, bro. I'm like, okay, but it was dope. I, I liked how they did Two Face basically. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah, it just was. It just really was like it's kid. It just stuck with me, and I think, and like I said, it's it's the score to Hans Zimmer's score at the end. Gary Oldman performance, Morgan Freeman as Lucius Fox is still brilliant casting. It's just everything that movie just worked so well. And again, I did. I know it. I know people are like it's an easy choice. I just as I remember the movie stuck with me so well, and even as a twenty five year old now, the movie sticks with me to this day. But I do say Tenet is slowly. It was Interstellar for a while too. Interstellar was kind of creeping up there. Interstellar was dope. And if, if, Ten, if Tenet didn't exist, if he never made Tenet, Interstellar would be my number one. Right, and that's what I thought. I was Interstellar creeped me up for a while too, and I was like, "Yeah, it's it's up there, it's up there." And I was like, "Yeah, it's it, I love Interstellar for sure." But Tenet, especially, I remember seeing. I think my dad and I went to the Star Wars Episode Nine opening night, whatever together. And I love I love what Chris Nolan does this back in the day. He would 
a big movie was coming out, once ahead, he would show you, uh, he would show you a si- five or six minute, maybe a little bit more, five, five six minute uh, prologue of the movie. So back in the mm-hmm. day, when, when I am Legend, when I am Legend came out in two thousand seven, people saw that movie in IMAX, got to see the heist, the heist, the heist of Dark Knight before anyone else, the full, the full Dark Knight heist moment in IMAX before anyone else, and that was like, coming soon. Or remember, it was. 2011, with Dark Knight Rises, the scene with Bane on, Bane on the plane. If you saw Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol on um, an IMAX, you would see the, the you would see the full prologue, the the plane scene, Dark Knight Rises, and I think with Rogue One was Dunkirk, and then I remember Star Wars Episode Nine. It was t- Tenet. I knew nothing. I knew, knew that John David Washington it was, it was totally it was North by Northwest meets Inception. And I remember, I remember seeing the prologue for Six Men prologue for Tenet, and I said, now. I was like, mm-hmm. now I want to see it now. It was listen. Mm-hmm. I'm cool with Star Wars. I'm like, yo, forget Star Wars. I want to see Tenet now. I was like, run it back, run it back. <laughs> I was like, I want to see a full movie now because I was like, that six minute the, the opera scene in Tenet is just it's fucking beautifully made. It's so well the action, the sound design, everything. It's hit John David Washington running through the whole opera. You know, uh, fighting Russians, whatever, fighting the, the bad guys. It's just a, it's an awesome opening scene. So. Dark Knight for now, but Tenet is slowly getting to that spot. I feel like if I watch Tenet maybe again, maybe soon, I'll be like, oh, it's a close tie. But for now, Dark Knight still has the place. But, you know, we'll see. Time will tell. But, but to finish up Barber, our Barbenheimer episode, I will now review Greta Gerwig's most anticipated movie, I feel like, of the summer, almost of the year, too, is Barbie. And I'm not going to lie, too. I was hyped for Barbie almost as equally, maybe, for as, as Oppenheimer. Maybe. maybe about the same. Hmm, okay. Greta, same, I would say. Greta Gerwig to me really is an actress that I think that year it was 2017 when Jordan Peele may get out. She she made um, Lady Bird. It was a really cool, um, really good year for indie films. Or a a twenty four. You know, small small, small bit of stuff with Get Out with Jordan Peele. It was a really good year of like, wow, this 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 was the kind of year of like. Actors turning directors and really showing even like stuff like the big sick he didn't direct it but Kumail Nanjani and his wife that was the first thing they wrote for a mainstream movie it was really cool to see women um, Jordan uh, 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 Jordan Peele uh, Kumail Nanjani people that didn't have a chance before to get up their shot to make a big to make a movie yes they're, yes they're all low budget. But all of them proved like I can make a good film. Give me the give me the chance. Jordan Peele proved that with Get Out. Uh, Greg Gerwig proved that with Lady Bird. Come on, Johnny and his wife Emily B. Gordon did the same thing. They proved they could write a screenplay together. It gave people who didn't have a chance to make movies before a chance on a platform. I think it was a very beautiful. I think it was a really good year for filmmaking and independent cinema. Lady Bird is a great movie. I think that's still my best favorite movie of hers. Get Out is, I think Get Out is still my favorite movie of Jordan Peele, but I love do I do love Nope too. Nope is a fucking awesome movie as well. But yeah. but going to Barbie, I brought my mom and brought Zeta to the screening last night because they all wanted to see it too. Okay, and how did that go? Honestly, my mom at first she goes, "I'll wait for it," and then I got I got tickets for me and Z to go to like, like a fan screening through Fandango, or whatever. Nice. And my mom goes, uh, "Hey." Uh, any tickets left for the screening? I was like, I don't know. I think it's sold out. But I was like, I'll check. I saw Fandango. It was like, there's one, but it was kind of like to the far right. I was like, listen, I'll give you my ticket. I'll, I'll sit to the far right. And my mom goes, she was like, I'll see it. And she was like, so happy to go see this movie. Um, <laughs> and it was good. The experience last night was, I think, being way different than Oppenheimer on Tuesday because we walked into the screening at Barbie at Timmy Marketplace. 
it was like being at the club again at varsity, bro. It was like really? a line to get in. There yeah. was people oh, everywhere. I was like, what the hell is this? And uh, for Oppenheimer on Tuesday at the screening, the people that weren't, you know, we're, we're, you, and I are part, you and I are part of the press. You know, and so we, we're, yeah, we're on the list, whatever. But if you're not part of the press list or the VIP, or the VIP friends of the, um, you know, part of the VIP list as well, there was 300 people at AZ Mills in line for even outside too in the hot Damn. sun Oppenheimer 300 people bro 300 people dude and they only let a quarter Jeez. of that that weren't press or you know invited uh through like the marketing firm or you know the radio stations whatever so it was like oof but Barbie I'll say man you walked in you're like we had to wait in line even though we had tickets we were, we were good to go we still had to wait in line get our actual tickets get our poster and walk in and it was just like crazy dude I was like Hey, this is good for the movie business. Good for entertainment. Good for the box office. Good for the box office and you know movie theater um, mm-hmm. business. I was like, oh my god! But anyway, the hype was real for both these movies. Greta Gerwig to me is like a, a director writer. Yeah, I keep, I keep watching. I think Lady Bird's a phenomenal movie. I love her version of Little Women. I think that movie is very beautiful, shot beautifully written, well acted. It's gorgeous to look at. It's a really really beautiful movie. As is Lady Bird. I will say though, going on the bat, Barbie's a very fun movie, but I don't think it's her best movie. I think Lady Bird is still her best movie, personally. Okay, actually, kind of my best slight tangent. I heard that um, uh, Greta Gerwig apparently is attached to do two Narnia movies for Netflix. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I think just based on like what you've seen from her. Yes, hundred percent, hundred percent, hundred percent. However, Netflix. yeah, give that shit to Disney Plus, man. Yeah, give it give it to someone that believes in the theatrical. I don't know. I think Neff is gonna make that. Neff is gonna. I just. I don't know, man. Can I? You know, for example, I love the first Knives Out. I did not like Glass Onion. I did not like Glass Onion yeah. at all. And I was like, I'm just worried that they're gonna dilute the brand or hurt uh, the legacy of that thing. Because that first one is very special. That first movie is. Very, I I never saw the third one. I feel like I think the first. I saw Prince. Crispian, not, not Crispian, Casby. <laughs> oh, Casby, yeah, yeah, yeah. Crispian, sorry. <laughs> but as a kid, the crispy I, Prince. Uh, yeah, the crispy. <laughs> <laughs> is, the, is, is the cookie crisp guy just as a prince? Oh my god! <laughs> but I really do think that she's the right person for sure. Hundred percent. I will. I'll watch. I think you know. I think you and I even pitched a Batgirl movie in college of her doing Batgirl, and we were like. I think you and I were like talking about like what if what if she did Batgirl with like Mick Snyder producing or whatever. And we're like that would have been really cool. I, I still hope I'm manifesting it now. I'll be like yo if she produced it if if, if the Snyder if the Snyder's produced it and she'd do it. I was like yo that would have been really cool because I think she had a great eye for telling stories about female empowerment and you know female characters. It would have been really cool, but yeah, we'll see. But back to your back to your thing. I think great great choice, hundred percent. Okay. Netflix. I'm on board with. What about you? Um, you know, that's that's uh ironically, this is a tough question for me to answer because I I saw the first Narnia movie once, basically in theaters. I wasn't even supposed to see it that day. I, it was like my brother's birthday, and there was this horror movie called When a Stranger Calls. So like me, my dad, uh, my brother, my sisters, we went there, but like it was a scary ass fucking movie. So. I couldn't handle it as a little boy, so then my dad was like, "Ah, damn, Nick." So we ended up just going over to uh, to the, the the Narnia theater. I watched it. And I had fun with it. It was a good time. Um, I haven't seen any of Greta Gerwig's stuff yet. Little Women is at the top of my list out of all the stuff that she's done, besides Barbie. Um, Little Women is one that kind of interests me the most. 
but when it was announced that she's going to be doing um that she might be doing Narnia I'm like that's kind of interesting and it made me like it made me a little bit more interested in her filmography like cuz based off of her based off of the movie she's already done like I wouldn't have assumed that people would want her to do um a Narnia movie you know what I mean it seems like she does relatively grounded stories uh personal stories about yeah. people and like Narnia is kind of like you know it's like a, a Harry Potter it's a magical land so I'm like okay that's that's interesting I'm on board with it um I would even and you you mentioned like what if she did bad girl I would even maybe go so far as to say like what if she did um a supergirl movie ah uh, yes yes okay, yes I feel I feel like that could be kind of interesting um maybe yeah. cast like either there's this actress because initially I was thinking either she could do a Stargirl movie, who's another DC character. She's kind of similar to to Supergirl. Like, she's a young teenager, and, you know, she has all this... It's kind of like a Spider-Man thing. Like, I have, like she has this great cosmic uh, power, basically. She has, like, the cosmic staff, and it's, like, it's her trying to balance it. But I was thinking about that. I'm like, nah, Supergirl would be more interesting, because she's, like, the ultimate fish out of water, and... Um, so you know, I'm kind of rambling. Excuse me, but I'm like that would be kind of that be kind of interesting. But oh, I remember what I was trying to say. There, there was um a Star Girl show on. It was originally the DC Universe app, and then it got moved over to HBO Max. And uh, the woman that played Star Girl, her name is Breck Basinger, and just kind of how she is on that show, I'm like I could kind of see her as as Supergirl. Like it's a lot of those similar um like character qualities you know kind of brash kind of hot-headed but yeah ultimately has a good heart so you like cast her as supergirl have greta gorig direct it um i'd be kind of interested in something like that i think that could be really cool yeah there was was another oh you know what no 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 no. um because there was another actress who i had in mind for supergirl um uh sydney sweeney from uh, from euphoria because she has she has range and she just she yeah. just looks like the character from the comics so i i think she'd be able to she would play that like really well so like and it could even be like a simple story like maybe you treat it kind of like spider-man homecoming like yeah where you got um you got her as as supergirl like i'm trying to figure out my place in the world and superman is acting as like my my big brother um father figure type and he's he's trying to relate to me and he's trying to like teach me how to live on on earth but like it's frustrating for me because like the last time i saw him he was he was a baby because you know he had like went through the wormhole and you know einstein theory of relativity blah 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 blah. but also like she's basically stuck in the stone ages when she's here on earth like i came from an advanced alien civilization and now not only is my planet gone but my parents are gone the little baby boy i was supposed to protect is now a grown man protecting me so now it's like what's my place in the world like i don't understand any of this earth culture um so yeah starring sydney sweeney as supergirl and then uh directed by uh greta gerwig i think that could be kind of cool dude and kind of fun too especially with the new um with the new james gunn yes with james kind of in charge of it that's like like fuck it do it Dude, tr- get filmmakers like her to come on board. If she and if she does like a Spider-Man: Homecoming or again, if you watch Lady Bird, if she does Supergirl movie, the vein of Lady Bird, genius. Sign me up, hundred percent. I'm there. I'll, I'll invest. I'll invest tomorrow. hundred percent. I'm there. So, but no, dude. I I think she's a you definitely watch Little Women. Definitely watch Lady Bird. Because I think Lady Bird again, like I said, it was a year of great actors becoming filmmakers for the first time. That was our first movie that she directed. 
Same with Jordan Peele. Okay, it and then really uh, was. Lady Bird was A twenty four, right? Yes, sir. Okay, okay. Yes, sir. You know, really? I love me some A twenty four movies, especially them horror movies, bro. Oh my, Chef's Kiss. It's Lady Bird is a place in my heart for me because I remember I saw that with Julia. Our, mm. our, our dear friend Julia has now passed, but her and I saw that together at the Harkins that you and I saw Isle of Dogs at that small one on Mill Avenue. Holy snap, crackling pop! Really? Okay, damn. Yeah, I wish they brought, I wish they, moved, I wish they brought that theater back. It's still been closed because of COVID. They say we'll see you next year. It's been now three years. That movie. I hope that, I hope that, that comes back. That's the first Harkins of Arizona. But her mm. and I saw that together sophomore year, and I was like, I know too much about it. I knew uh, Disaster was coming. Like, look, this year of eight twenty four, good eight twenty four movies. Disaster was coming out soon. I was like, cool. I was more looking forward to that. But I remember her and I saw it together at, uh, at the Harkins Valley Art here in Phoenix, and I was like, whoa, this movie was a hit me differently but i remember i remember julia get hit, hit her differently for because he was sorry about you know uh yeah as a woman finding your place in the world finding your place like at, you know when you're that adolescence you know from high school to college mm-hmm. and I, I i remember just i remember her and I just laughing a lot all the time great soundtrack too um it's a it's a really really remarkable film for your first movie too she killed it so with barbie i was going in i'm like you know Grady goldberg's you know my girl i can't wait i can't wait to see what she does next this is a very very fun movie. I had a lot of fun with this movie. Ryan Ryan Gosling, dude. You know I, I, I love me some Ryan Gosling. I have a huge man crush on this guy. God damn man, he's so good in this. He's so funny. Like I, just, he's a great agent too. A great management. I feel like he he does not pick a bad role. I guess he's been in things that aren't maybe like great. Not a gangster squad. But I still like that. I still, I still, I still that movie for what it was. It, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just, I was gonna say Gangster Squad was cool. It was just kind of like. How I mentioned earlier, like it kind of felt like it didn't like suit, like really, really take it there. Like I thought, right. Gangster Squad was gonna be like more like you, you see an American Gangster, right? With um, yeah, with Denzel. Well, so I thought good. it was gonna, I thought it was gonna kind of have a tone like that, but yes. in like the like twenties, thirties, or forties, whenever it took place, because that trailer was like awesome. dope. Like you got Sean Penn basically as like a kingpin, bro, and the cast was dope. Ryan Gosling, Josh Brolin, uh, Anthony Mackie, Michael Pena, like. Uh, it was just it was just a little bit it was just kind of soft to me but it was it was still solid though but it was just kind of like you know it it felt a little pg yes yes it felt a little too safe it could have been really american gangster goodfellas kind of vibe but kind of went a little safer route but Mm -hmm. yeah but anyway he's still good now you know i love later on 2049 i love all his movies i love drive did he really man it's fun seeing him in more like a fun comedic role like kind of like crazy stupid love it, he re- dude, he really embraces the the kind of the quirkiness and the silliness of this movie. And I'm telling you, man, he had me cracking up the entire movie, and I was like, I fucking love you, Ryan Gosling, man. I have a huge crush on you still. Um, yeah, Gosling was like surprisingly funny because I seen it was um it was like this SNL skit where it was about the the font for the the James Cameron Avatar oh, yeah, movie, Papyrus, yes, Papyrus. <laughs> Excuse me. And like I'm watching it, I'm like, yo, this dude is mad fucking funny, bro. He's like he he keeps using the same fight. Like they're like, bro, relax. He's like, no, like he can't keep man. doing this. <laughs> <laughs> no, he he's funny, man, and like he's 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 such a good actor because the dramatic stuff, the serious stuff, like he kills it in those roles. It's always like, well, yeah, he could play that. He's Ryan Gosling. He always does, but like the funny stuff, like he kills it in those roles too. Like not a whole lot of people can really really do that. Right. Right, and if you could do that, a testament to you as a performer, as an actor, because man, it it just 
you can do a lot. But yeah, man, he really was a big standout for me. America Ferraro, who I've, I've been watching, you know, Ugly Betty and Superstore. To me, America Ferrara and Ryan Gosling kind of stand out the most in this entire movie. I know this is a Barbie movie, but really, those two really have some amazing moments. I was like, wow, they are just phenomenal in this movie. But my, for sure, my two, again, I'm starting with the pros again. Phenomenal. Great soundtrack from Lizzo to Nicki Minaj to oh uh, Khalid, like so much. Uh, Billie Eilish. It's a phenomenal soundtrack. Okay, they great. got Khalid on there? Yeah, Billie dude. Eilish. Okay, yeah, I'm going to have to see this movie then. Dude, take Kaylin to this movie. I think Kaylin, I think Kaylin would love this movie as well. I think she oh. would love this movie. Oh, yeah, uh, I know. Take her to this movie. It's a great, again, soundtrack. I think of our generation, all the hit top artists. Um, dude, oh my gosh, the, the production design in this movie is unreal. Kind of like how it was Oppenheimer too. But the production design of this movie is phenomenal. It really is phenomenal. Like it's just you're watching, like, wow my gosh, like the real sets, the background, the coloring, everything, the, the costumes, the production design in this is phenomenal. And I was like, this better win or get nominated for production design. Cause I'm like, I have never seen a really I mean Marvel obviously for obvious reasons too, but for production design, it just was this beautiful to look at. It. And I was like, I was so impressed looking at the buildings. The uh, the houses, the beaches, everything. The production design is phenomenal. All in Barbie Land is all phenomenal. I was like, wow, they really took time and effort and really showed some amazing shots of how amazing this production team worked on for the design. Cinematography, she used uh, Martin Scorsese's cinematographer who did stuff like Kings of New York, Wolf of Wall mm-hmm. Street, Irishman, The Departed. And I was like, wow, these are way different movies. And I'm like, wow, same guy who did Wolf of Wall Street. Wow, okay. <laughs> Barbie, and I was like, "That's a really interesting choice." But man, cinematography of this, especially in the Barbie world, it's phenomenal. Again, I still think the cinematography by Hoytman Hoytema and Oppenheimer is definitely better because the IMAX cameras and the mm-hmm. setting, obviously. But cinematography of this movie is unreal. And I was like, watching, it, I'm like, "Wow, this is for, for her third movie. She's amazing production design. She's a phenomenal cinematography. A great eye for te- a great eye for certain shots." And I was like, "Wow, I was impressed by on a technical level aspect as well as from her." Being a third, being at her only her third movie, I was like, "Wow!" Again, she proved that in Little Woman and Lady Bird, especially in Little Woman, all the, all the greenery and the setting of that movie and all the set pieces in that too. But she has a great eye and great production team. I think that worked really well with her. Um, I will again. It's not. This is not spoiler because this was in the trailer, obviously too. But I do wish it kind of was kind of kept quiet. This movie to me, I would picture this movie as a very weird combination of movies: Truman Show, my favorite movies of all time. Mm-hmm. It's Truman Show meets Elf meets Enchanted with a tiny, tiny splash of the first Matrix. You know, I feel like I know exactly what you mean somehow. Thank you. This is why we're best friends. We have a podcast together, Nick. You, yeah, you, get, you get me. You get me. Yeah, man, because like in the trailer, I'm like, it's I'm like initially it's like I'm thinking like, okay, so it's just gonna be like it's all the Barbies and Ken's like interacting with each other. But then I think it was the second trailer or something where they go to the real world and you see, again, this is all in the trailers. Like they go to the real world. You see um, like Will Ferrell there. And I was like, yeah. at that point I was like, hold up, hold up. And then like came McKenna's character in the trailer. I was like, she's like, it seemed like she's maybe like the first doll or something like that. I'm just, I'm just assuming, but I'm like this. Okay. This story seems deeper than, I originally thought, and um, yes. it's, I think there was like one line like, "Would you rather like live forever or be, or like be immortalized like as an idea?" Or it was it was it was something like that. But I'm like, okay, I kind of I like you know philosophical kind of questions like that. So it, it definitely made me want to watch it more. 
Yes. I'll tell you what, Nick, that part right there, I don't want to get too much spoiling for you or any of our listeners, but really, dude, this movie is not what you think at times. I think we talked about it. This movie explores a lot of deeper meanings, too. That was really brilliant on Greta Gerwig's part, Noah Baumbach, her partner, both in real life, both in, you know, um, uh, personally and also professionally. They do a good job of kind of like bringing deeper measures to this movie a lot. And I'm like, wow, it was very good. It's, it's, I want to call this a kid's movie because for PG-13, it's very PG-13. It's a lot of philosophy. We'll talk about death and being immortalized and, you know, uh, struggling of what it is to, to, uh, to be a woman. And it's what it is to be, you know, like not feeling you belong anywhere. And I really mm. thought, like, wow, this is for, again, it's not, okay, it's not a kid's movie. This, this movie has a lot of, like, really underlying messages and a lot of, like, themes of, like, wow, this is very mature for a movie that's getting made for Barbie kids for Barbie. But no, this movie has a lot more um, mature themes to it. But like, wow, I was really kind of good on both Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach for bringing that in. But I would say though, Kate McKinnon kind of plays not the same at all. This is not a comparison, but if you were to compare, she's kind of like, I guess her version of Morpheus basically. Interesting. Interesting. Like she, she like wakes her up in a way. Right. Is that, is that what it is? Like she's like she's like, listen, man, this world ain't what you think it is. Play it. It's kind of like that. Sort of. It's more of like a more of kind of like a existential crisis of like who you are, kind of thing. Not not so much mm, okay. Neo and Morph in Matrix, but it's in a way she is kind of playing his her version of Morpheus in a way different way, a completely different way and circumstance. Oh, but, okay, okay. I can't. I had the Matrix kind of feel for it, and other reasons too that I won't spoil. But if you watch it, when you see it, you'll say, "Okay, I can see the kind of Matrix kind of like inspiration to it to a different way in this movie." Um, mm. But yeah, definitely Truman Show, Elf, Enchanted, and Spice of Matrix. I would kind of compare these movies to. This also does actor real quick. I think he's a great actor. I haven't seen Secret Evasion yet, but I saw One Night in Miami. He's, he's going to be uh, Bar Marley, which looks awesome if you ask me. Yes, yes, yes. King, yes, yes. Kingsley Benadire, man. I love watching this guy on screen because man, he's having the time of his life in this movie. I was like, I had the huge smile when I saw him on this on the screen. I was like, I thought he was great as Malcolm X. He was playing Malcolm X, which again is a big role to take on for any actor. Yeah. And when I am when I'm Miami was directed by the great um oh my gosh, I'm thinking her name. Regina, Regina King. Regina King, yes, who I love from Jerry Maguire, uh, everything Boys in the Hood. Uh, Boys in the, no, she was in uh she's Friday. She's in Friday, that's right. She's in Friday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Friday, Friday, the Boondocks. I love Regina King so much, so so much. It's a great movie too. But she casted him as Malcolm X. Malcolm X, phenomenal actor, great performance. And this movie, he's having the time of his life. He's, he's, I get a huge smile on my face watching him. He's having so much fun. He plays one of the Kens. Like he, play, he, play, he, play, he kind of plays like basically Ryan Gosling's best best friend, also a Ken. Okay. And they have great nice. chemistry with them. And it's so much fun. And I remember seeing the Bar, the uh, the Bob Marley trailer last month, last week for the first time. I was like. I want to see this movie now because he has Bob Marley down to the T. From the trailer alone, I was like, I want to see this guy do everything. I think he was a phenomenal actor at One Eye Miami, but he was so great in this movie. I was like, man, good, good on him having a good time in this movie. Yeah. Go, go him, dude. I, I can't wait. Can't wait to see him in Bob Marley and what he does next. I think all the Kens and Barbies in this movie are all perfectly casted, like Issa Rae, um, um, uh, Alexandra Ship from uh, X Men and Jexy, the one that you and I both like very much. Um, Jexy was hilarious. I'm definitely excited to see um, Issa Rae because um, I was I was introduced to the show. I was I had a conversation with Harry Lennox a few years ago, and he had brought it up. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna have to check that out. 
And I, I low-key binged it once I moved into my house. I'm like, yo, this show is amazing. And she was, I know, like, Issa Rae, she was on Masterclass, and I was kind of checking that out a little bit. And it was cool, too, because she has a similar background as us a little bit, like, starting off on YouTube and, like, m- slowly moved her way up to the movie world. So definitely an inspiration. Yeah. And she's very likable, too. She's very likable, a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And she, she's very like she's a very hard worker too. Like I see, I see her in a lot of stuff where she's like she's busting her ass. And I, again, again, I think I think her inspiration from her too. You know, started started from humble beginnings to get where she is now. I think it's really it's remarkable what she accomplished in her career so far. Yeah, and she plays up, bro. Moved up, dude. And she plays bad in present. I think it was very good casting. She she's having a lot of fun too. She's having a lot of fun too. She's one line I'm not gonna say, but like had the entire theater cracking up. That was really funny. Um, she was really good. All the Barbies and Kens were good. I'm not the biggest Simulu fan. I think he's a he's an okay actor. I think he's kind of overacting a lot of stuff, but he was good as, as the other Ken. Um, a lot of good actors. I felt like just were getting everyone was casted perfectly. Like you know, Alexandra Ship, I think it was great casted too as one of the Barbies. Everyone was casted literally perfect too. The Kens and the Barbies, without a doubt. Um, there were a lot of scenes that again had a, had me laughing out loud like i was cracking up laughing it was, it was hilarious like, i was really crying laughing at times it was so funny especially from ryan gosling as ken but you know what this movie is, is brilliant because it has so much comedy but it balances all the beautiful heartfelt moments very well like and i'm I, you know with comedy and you know heartfelt moments you gotta balance it really well i do, I do want some like really good like heartful moments but i don't want to like be too much of either it has to be a nice balance I think mm-hmm. what Greta Gerwig did here did a good job of balancing both because there are some really like emotional, heartfelt moments. That reminded me of the Truman Show of like him trying to figure out who he is and like you know where, where, where do I stand in this world? Am I good enough for myself? Am I good enough for the real world? Like who am I? I think it was a really kind of great comparison to those two movies. And I do think all the heartfelt moments really worked and supported the comedy. The comedy supported the heartfelt moments a lot throughout this movie. Uh, the third act, say the third act shifts shifts its tone for sure, and more, it's more of a dramatic, more of like a self discovery kind of film. Well, that was it's a very hard shift for sure. It's a very hard like skirt like turn to a different genre. But I think Greta Gerwig does a good job of kind of, of really managing it like to a T, and also knowing, hey, listen, we're changing we're changing shifts, we're changing gears a little bit, but we're still the same movie that you've been watching for the past like hour and a half, hour forty five. But again, it was very kind of done kind of seamlessly and with a lot of great kind of like. Uh, uh, carry over to all the different genres, but having that really emotional, heartfelt scene to it. I'll tell you what, man. Michael Sarah as Alan, he's the only Alan in this movie, was pretty funny. I mean, he's still the same kid from Superbad and Scott Pilgrim, but <laughs> yeah. man, there, he, there's a lot, there's a lot of funny parts where I was like, "Good Michael Sarah, man!" Like he's with the girls, you know, in, in the pink jumpsuit, whatever, the pink glasses. He's one of the girls' gang. It's really funny, like how he's kind of like he blends in so well with everyone, with the Kens and with really? the, okay, and the and the Barbies. But it, the, the commentary on him a little bit, that's spoiling. It's kind of like. Where do I belong to? I'm the only me in a in a in a in a, in a land of different cans and Barbies. I'm the only me. How do I stand out? Who do I fit with? It's kind of like him trying to figure out like where do I belong to. That was kind of like cool to see, yeah. kind of like his uh, perspective on a lot of stuff because he, he he's kind of outsider in this huge world. So I thought it was kind of very clever, very funny. And Helen Mirren, the narration was really funny too because you, you know you know it's her voice the moment the movie starts. And she's oh, a, lot of yeah. kind of fun, a lot of funny commentary, kind of like very meta. Again, it's very meta, very fourth wall breaking. Again, has some kind of Deadpool kind of vibe to it. Like not, not the violence, but like all the fourth wall and the the meta kind of humor, which very worked very well too. So I think it's worth definitely worth seeing. But as all movies, I do have some cons. Uh, I like I like her to girl wig. Do you know who, are you? Do you know who Noah Baumbach is by chance? 
the the name sounds familiar. Like what what else has has he worked on? So he's one of Wes Anderson's like right hand man's one of his best friends. Um, and he has written stuff like Marriage Story, which I didn't really care for personally. Um, oh, no, with, um, with Adam Driver and, and Scarlett, Scarlett Johansson. Okay. Yeah. He wrote if, if, if the Meyerowitz stories with Adam Sandler and uh, Ben Stiller. No, I, uh, I saw an analysis on like how they broke down the um, like how the characters talk, like how they specifically do the dialogue in that, which I thought was interesting. But no, I'm from I'm vaguely familiar with it. I haven't seen it, though. Worth the watch. I think it's one of Sandler's best movies. I think he has good, he has good chemistry with Ben Stiller and Dustin Hoffman. Okay, um, they're, they're brothers, right? And then uh, Hoffman is their father in the movie. Yeah, kind of, kind of, kind of on the loose in a way. They're kind of like trying to keep dad like from like getting in jail, from kind of like you know getting too crazy as an old man. Oh, okay, okay, I got you. <laughs> but I would say Noah Baumbach is kind of like a less artsy version of Wes Anderson. But very similar dialogue, very similar kind of how characters talk and interact with each other, but not like the whole kind of like the, sh- the very steady cam, you know, you know, Wes Anderson kind of like the Isle Dog and stuff, and, you know, and like uh, mm-hmm. Rice Kingdom stuff. But he wrote, yeah. again, he did write Mr. Fox, which is my favorite Wes Anderson movie. He wrote Leather Quad, another one of my favorite Wes Anderson movies, but he writes kind of very kind of just like, yeah, typical, whatever, kind of very, this kind of very stereotypical white characters in a way if you ask me it's it's there's not really add anything personally so i was kind of like okay he's because he, he's he's he, i think they, they're married in real life and they have kids together with greta gerwig but i just feel like he's characters are very bland at times where i don't feel kind of mm. kind of like kind of like okay emotional connection to them but i think they work really well together in this movie for sure but i think i think Greta Gerwig for sure takes the win again even though he's co-writer i do think Greta Gerwig did most of the heavy lifting um of this of this movie mm, but okay. The dialogue, then it's about all the movies too. If you watch all those movies, some of the dialogue doesn't really match different characters. Like there's a character in this, there's, there's like 12 year olds talking about like um, fascism and like world oppression. And I'm like, you're 11, 12 years old. I'm like, what? Like we're talking about like movies and like <laughs> Game Boys when we, we were that age or like, you know, music right. and like that. And I was like, I don't think 11 and 12 year olds who are in middle school are talking about like, uh, the uh, economic society of why it was downfall, whatever. I'm like, y'all are 12 years old. I was like, right. I, I don't know about you, bro, but I don't. I was talking about that when we were talking about like, Superman and Batman and Spider Man and video games and movies, not mm. the oppression of like of society and um and of uh, you know economic failure. I was like, yeah, that's not really what we're talking about. So I kind of felt like out of place with 12 year olds talking about this. Mm, okay, it kind of sounds like it, low key. And that, that's that's a lot of Noah Baumbach's movies. You watch some of the movies; it feels the same way of like that wouldn't really match the character's age or their kind of personality. It didn't. It wouldn't really match. So I was kind of like, oh, that's for sure Noah Baumbach thinks. So I was like, that wouldn't really match that well. Um, I love Margot Robbie. I think she's a phenomenal actress. I loved her ever since uh, Wolf of Wall Street. She's great. She's great. Harley Quinn. She's great in Babylon. Uh, Hollywood as uh, Sharon Tate. I do think though she kind of takes a backseat to her own movie, where this is her movie, but she's kind of outshined by her other co-stars, whether it's Issa Rae, America Ferrara, Ryan Gosling, Kingsley Benadier. Um, I think she, uh, I think she's kind of back. I think she's kind of playing a backseat to her own movie. I was like, huh? She, I think Mark Robbie has a great performance in her, but I think she kind of like just could have been giving a little bit more. I think I do think it's a lot of overacting at times on her end. I was like, ah. Oh. I've seen you do better work before. Again, I, I think she's still great in this movie for sure, but the overacting at times kind of like, I don't know. I think 
good performances, but there are there are a lot of time, a lot of handful of times where I'm like, it's a little overacting. But again, she's playing that character too, for a reason, which I, again, in the movie, I'll explain why. But it definitely does feel like eh, this, this isn't her best performance. I think she kind of plays a backseat to her own movie, which happens in a lot of movies too. You know, like a lot of other movies, like the, the side character kind of steals the show, or whatever. So it we've seen it before. Uh, I love Will Ferrell. Love him so much. Why is he? Why is he in this movie? I mean, he's just kind of playing just like Will Ferrell from SNL, basically. And I love Will Ferrell so much. I'm like, dude, you're better than this. Like, I want to see you do more like the other guys and stuff like you know. Like, I don't know. It just to me that whole Will Ferrell and the whole guys of Mattel just did, just felt like a really kind of like watered down kind of like yeah, like we're the bad guys. Look at us. We're kind of this and that. Oh, I was okay. like, yeah, it felt kind of basic, huh? Yeah, it felt very basic, and I was, it felt unneeded too. Like, if they weren't in the movie, it wouldn't change anything at all. If you ask me, like, okay, it would, it would have been the same thing. It would have been like, okay, like this and that. Barbie, Barbie's in the real world. Yeah, it just Will Ferrell just kind of played an idiot the entire time, and I was like, yeah, I love Will Ferrell, but I'm like, I'm kind of tired of playing the same idiot each time. Love him as, yeah. a, love him as an actor, love his comedies, but I'm like, it didn't work. And all his Mattel goons just did not work either. Um, this is something not, not movie related, but it, it is related in a way. I think the marking this movie kind of hurt the movie a lot, where it just like showed too much. I think you know I talked about this before at the last screening we went to, and as well as well as the last few episodes of the podcast, where the marketing kind of just really kind of like showed too much. And I do think maybe 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 post strike, they got to dial back on the marketing because they're showing way too much. They're yeah. showing way too much. I do think that year the first teaser year Garber Z saw thing on Z saw thing on on Instagram. It was like. Margot Robbie's personal watch was for Barbie, and one of them was Truman Show. And I was like, "Ooh, I like this. I like this." Because Truman mm-hmm. Show is called about like, "Am I? What? I, it's in my life." But when things started becoming weird, what's going to happen next? Mm-hmm. And I kind of wish the marketing didn't show them going to the real world, or show them kind of like, you know, what's doing in the real world with Ken. I think it would have been a really cool secret to keep it a, keep it like on the on the wraps of like, yeah, like we're yeah. the. She didn't know like what's going on in the real world. That would have been a really kind of better approach to this movie, if you ask me. I'm with you on that because that, that's I've been kind of thinking about that for a little bit. Like it, like you said, trailers tend sometimes tend to like just show like way too much. I feel like my my opinion on trailers is like they should be more like teasers for the movie, not so much summaries of the movie you're about to see. Right. right. Like there was um. There was one trailer I thought it was fantastic. Uh, it was it was for this Michael Douglas movie. It was called The Game, directed if I remember correctly by David Fincher, who did Gone Girl Seven, uh, things like that. But the the teaser, and I would definitely recommend this movie to to everybody because this movie had me on the edge of my seat. Like I, lo- it was one of those like, okay, mm-hmm. I have no idea what the fuck is going on. Like, but the trailer you know yeah check it out bro because this is really really fucking good but the the trailer was it's all black space and you, you know those um they're like wooden kind of like humanoid figures um I, you, you'll see them in like art classes or like painting yeah type shit you know so it was it was that but it was suspended by strings you you never see where the strings um are coming from and then like at some point, like maybe like the hand of it might twitch or the knee or whatever. And every now and then it would be just a line of dialogue from the movie. 
absolutely no context but then like the the music kind of builds up a little bit the um the dialogue it starts getting more intense you, you hear michael douglas's voice you hear this actress's voice you hear this other actor's voice and it's like it's all just it's building up to a point and then at a certain point like kind of towards the end of the trailer the um that doll like it's just shaking like violently like whoever's holding the strings is just like waving their fucking hands around and then it's like it was like a moment of silence and then you hear a gunshot and that wooden doll just falls down and then it's the game like that was the name of the movie the game so and that was the whole trailer you didn't see anybody you heard some of the lines from the movie but you didn't understand what the fuck was going on and then so when you're watching the movie you're really kind of like I don't really know what to expect, but that that teaser was really fascinating. That that's what they need that to do. Sounds with, good. With, yeah, I would I would recommend it a hundred percent, dude. I used to watch oh. that shit like every fucking week when I was in high school. But that's that's what. So back to your point, um, as far as excuse me, as far as like the marketing goes, you, I I don't feel like you should do like teaser trailer trailer one trailer right. two trailer three final trailer because even trailers have trailers for them and i, I know get, like on, on one hand it builds up anticipation for the movie because if you can get people excited to see a trailer for a movie then you can get them excited for the movie so i get that but this whole thing like well we got to do like five fucking trailers you're either gonna run into an issue where you're just basically showing the same footage over and over again or you're gonna have to show more footage like from the movie and risk giving away important plot elements maybe even just the twist because i'm with you like when i saw in the i think it was the second trailer where she's driving the car she goes out into the real world Uh it was like nah that seemed that that's that's something that should have just been a surprise like all the surprises in the movie for any movie don't re- don't show them in the trailer like just kind of te- just tease the the kind of vibe the atmosphere of the movie or kind of tease generally what the story is about like the first few i got to i got to do this because yep. y'all know me Doug you know me i'm a comic book fan and man of steel is one of my favorite uh, comic book movies of all time but the um hell yeah the first two teasers for that movie it was like it was a shot of a fucking butterfly on a swing. It was like some Kansas like grass fields or some shit. Yes. It was a really close up shot of a of a little boy with his dad who was obviously young Clark Kent and and Pa Kent. And then it, and it was just it was some dialogue and then the last shot it's just Superman flying into the sky, but you're you're looking at it kind of from like a distance, and then at a certain point he breaks the sound barrier and, and flies up, and then you know Man of Steel, and it's the Man of Steel logo coming on this release date, and they they did two versions of that. It was the same exact footage. The only thing was the dialogue was different, and and the first one, I don't remember which one came first, but one of them was dialogue from the Pa Kent character played by uh, Kevin Costner. The other one was the Joel dialogue played by um, uh, Russell Crowe. And it's like they both give. The reason those two teasers work is because they both kind of give like like I said earlier, the atmosphere they of the movie, they kind of go into a little bit of the themes or at least two themes that could you know, or two themes, two philosophies, two messages, however you want to look at it. And and then they, they just left it at that. 
you know, yep. like, okay, bet, you know, so here, here's a little teaser. This is kind of what it is. We're not showing the villain, mm-hmm. We're not even showing the Superman suit. We're not showing anything. This is just kind of, th- this is the type of Superman movie that we're trying to make. It's going to be dramatic. It's going to be heavy, emotional. It's, you know, you know, all, and all of that good stuff. And then they just left it at that. I would have just left it at that. Maybe if you want to do just one basic generic trailer, because sometimes audiences kind of just need basic generic shit then do that one trailer but leave it at that like that should be the most man like a teaser and then a basic a basic trailer because i'm getting to the point where i'm like okay i saw the first trailer i don't want to risk being spoiled by anything so i'm not gonna watch any more trailers after that like i'm kind of starting to get to that point because like you said they just be um they just be spoiling shit sometimes Showing too much. Showing too mm-hmm. much. And that Man of Steel trailer, man, I had goosebumps thinking about that. I remember seeing that before Dark Knight Rises, and I was like, said, you one year, one year, like a year from now. And I was like, no, not a year from now. I want to see it tomorrow. I was like, please. That, <laughs> yeah, was, a really, that was a really good, really good tease. No, I, I agree. So I do think that, that, that they didn't, I wish they didn't show that the real world stuff in the trailer. I think it, it kept the Truman show a secret aspect to the movie. It would mean even more special, if you ask me. But again, I didn't make the movie, obviously, but I do think that marketing needs to be cut back a lot going forward with these movies and i think this movie could have had a better marketing if it wasn't including some of the real world stuff that's just me personally also for our screening too this is like this is a personal this is like a first world personal issue of the screening that we were at last night they showed two full scenes of the movie like the the entirety before the screening like a mm-hmm. a quick look into the movie basically like music playing whatever and me and z me z and my mom were like I, why did they show us this? Because it was like you know, how important this movie is, and I'm like, yeah, it's important. But like, it would have been cool to see these scenes in the movie with the context that we know about it. Because now we saw the full, we saw two full scenes, literally two full scenes to his entirety, like before the screening. It was like, yeah, like quick look into the movie, and I was like, yeah, that hurt. That kind of hurt like the experience for us, not a lot, but like a little bit. But we would enjoy it a bit more if we didn't see those scenes. So that was kind of weird on WB's part to show that before the screening. And I just. Little nitpicking I get for first world our person our, our screening issue, but it would have been yeah. a cool not not to see those two certain scenes. I will say this too before before I wrap this up. I do think that Margot and Ryan are two of my favorite actors working today. I think they're both getting both beautiful and gorgeous. Both of them are. Mm-hmm. I do think that they have good chemistry, but similar to what I said before with Emily Blunt and and Killian Murphy. I didn't really feel their chemistry working all that time. I think it was good in certain parts, but. It, it wasn't consistent. It wasn't consistent enough. And I do feel like they like really cute scenes together, but it, it felt slipping throughout the entire rest of the movie. I just didn't feel their chemistry at all. And I was like, I was really hyped. I love both of them as, as actors. I was like, oh, I can't wait. Two favorite actors working together. I can't wait for this. It wasn't that, again hard to compare, obviously, but like how you see with Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling, have really good chemistry with four different for four different movies. I just didn't feel a chemistry between two of them in this movie. I wish they could make me. Kind of worked me and proved on that, proved on that a little bit more. So I wanted to see them like good chemistry between Barbie and Ken. Get a lot of like good kind of like commentary about their relationship as you know both Ken and Barbie and who they are as people and like self discovery again. But I just didn't really feel their vibe together in their certain scenes. Again, really cute scenes in the beginning of the movie, but throughout I was kind of like I just don't see them together. I don't I don't, I don't see that. I'm not really buying this. So that's again my thing. Um, like I said too, this movie. I again, I won't call it a kids movie. I think there's a lot of like, there's a lot of like, a lot of great, a lot of great social commentary, commentary about mm-hmm. you know life, about uh, female empowerment, feminism, and about like, kind of, like individuality, stuff like that. Like, how do you sum up differently? So, 
it definitely has a lot of good stuff that like they want to like kind of talk about. But I do think that they they try to jam a lot of stuff, and at times I do feel like ooh, focus on focus on this more, like focus on this more. I, I want to see more of that. But they do want to cram they do want to cram in a lot of stuff. Where I was like, oh okay, okay, I, I get it, I get it. But again, it didn't feel like it was like oh this is forced in here at all. No, it didn't feel that at all. But I do wish they kind of spent more time on certain things. So again, they they introduce a lot of like commentary and social stuff, and like you know, uh, commentary on certain stuff, and you know like uh, about people and about but our culture, about our our society too. So. Very important to have that, but I do feel like they kind of threw too much in at times. Where again, it should have been just a little bit, maybe maybe sprinkled in a little bit more uh, periodically, not all at once or not all at, like at the same time. But I will also give Barbie another solid eight out of ten. I think it's worth seeing in theaters. Everyone, do a double feature. Do, do I don't care. What we do Barbie Oppenheimer. Do do the more intense one first, the more lighthearted one next, or vice versa. Do the Barbenheimer opening uh, opening weekend or opening week a double feature? It's worth worth seeing both these in theaters. Again, they're both eight of the great movies, great movies by filmmakers, very different filmmakers, very different films, but two great filmmakers, both in Ryan, Go- Ryan Gosling and Christopher Nolan and uh, Greta Gerwig. So definitely do the Barbenheimer double feature. And like I said, I hope these movies do well. We need it for our industry, for our box office, for our entertainment industry, for the movie theater business. So. It's the last two big movies we have for the rest of summer. Again, we have Haunted Mansion and Ninja Turtles and Gran Turismo, but a uh, Blue Beetle. But uh, yeah, it's a the launch of these movies. So support your mo- local movie theaters. Support the movies. It's important that we have these movies in both playing at the same time because it's important that we support out in these big movies and for the love of our movies, for love for, for our love of movies and for our love of the box office. So see both these movies in theaters. I definitely recommend it. But we are now out of the show, and my friend. As you always know, we are going to end the show with our one-on-ones, which is our one movie, one show recommendation to our listeners to watch. Nick, you first, my friend. What is your one-on-one of this week? Okay, so my one-on-one for this week, let me think, let me think. Okay, I got to I gotta do a deep dig here. So there was, there was one, actually, a Ryan Gosling movie from, uh, what year? I think it was 20... It was 2013. Yes, it was the same year as Man of Steel. It's called Only God Forgives, directed by Nicholas Winding Refn. He did Drive, uh, right? Yeah, he did Drive. I just want to let me make sure I pronounce that correctly. Yeah, Nicholas Winding Refn for sure. So, um, and this was this was a very like dark kind of abstract movie. The um, the basic premise, if you there are rather the surface level premise um it's it's uh it's like ryan gosling this his character works in the criminal underworld and you know he's he's it's basically just he's doing criminal shit and there's this cop that i think is kind of on his uh on his trail and he's 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 investigating him but the movie's ambiguous as to like as to who or what this particular cop like is um so i thought that was really interesting and it's one of those movies where you watch it and you kind of get the sense like i think this character is a metaphor for either like a topic or like a theme or or whatever so i got i got i enjoyed it a lot because of that it's one of those movies you watch it it's ambiguous. You you, you can kind of just get multiple meanings out of it. Um, 
I, I'm not gonna. I don't want to say too too much because I I really really would just recommend it. Like the way yeah. that the the way the cinematography is and the way that they use color and like how they use they use kind of like dream sequences to tell a story. There's little subtle um, hints in dialogue and just in the characters like body movements. Like um, uh, Ryan Gosling's character, like his mother is in the film. The character's mother is in the film, and when they interact with each other you kind of get this sense that okay it's clearly it's not it wasn't it's not like a loving mother-son relationship but it's one of those kind of like what the fuck happened what were y'all doing what was going on between you two like while he was coming up like it's, it's kind of like that and um Ryan Gosling's character I, f- I forget what his name is but he's a very quiet reserved guy I, you know like drive but um it's even though he doesn't he doesn't verbalize very much you still basically know like what he's thinking because again like he's he's a more physical kind of character but still in subtle ways it's not one of these really big like blockbuster type movies but it's very interesting i would i would 100 percent recommend it um let's see so yeah that movie's called only god forgives and uh and yeah i'd recommend that movie let me think for TV shows, you know what? Fuck it. I'm gonna throw this out there. There was um, it's a show called Arrow. It came out or it first released in 2012, and it's it was on the CW, and it was uh, it's uh, based off of the DC comic character Green Arrow, but they um, they wanted to make it very like basically like the Dark Knight. You know, they made it very real world, and when they were first kind of conceptualizing this show and when they were like doing all the press they're like yeah this is basically this is just green arrow and we're doing it like the dark knight kind of where it's there's no superheroes in this world everything is very real world very grounded and blah 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 and like the first season the first season was dope you know um the only thing with like the first few seasons it's just like the uh the acting can kind of use some work but the new actors so you, you kind of got to give it a pass but the the reason I'm picking this show is one, it's a good show, and two, like even though they tried to make they even though they wanted it to just be, you know, it's grounded. There's nothing super like sci-fi or fantastical about it. It's it's just a, a street level vigilante basically. That was how they started out, but it ended up branching out into a bunch of different shows because in season two they introduced the Flash and they were having like cross like just regular crossovers with each other, which you don't really get that in like in superhero television. So everything that they were doing was in a way unprecedented and it spun out into the flash. And then it's, and then one of the producers went off uh, to the channel CBS uh, channel eight, I believe. And he did Supergirl, but because he was doing um, the flash and arrow too, like he found a way to cross Supergirl over and they just explained it as like Supergirl exists in her own universe so very early on, like you're still dealing with the multiverse, and then after Supergirl, it was like Legends of Tomorrow, which was just other characters that we'd seen on the on two of the three shows so far. Like they all formed a group, and then after that, they did like Black Lightning, and he was really cool because he was kind of like it was like the DC version of Netflix's Luke Cage. Like I'm a I'm a a, a local hero. I'm a pillar of the community, and the way that they characterized him. Uh, black lightning was really cool because his secret identity jefferson pierce 
like I said, pillar of the community, um, a black superhero. He's the principal of a school. Like all of the students there basically look up to him. So I was like, that's that's really cool. And like, you know, these show and then after that it was Batgirl. And then after that it was like Superman and Lois, which is a show I love and and da 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 da. So just from that one show, it kept just branching out and branching out and it created this whole universe. Like Arrow lasted for eight seasons and then you know all of these other shows just came from it. And it it's like it's basically all over now. Like they kind of wrapped it all up and they didn't necessarily wrap it up in the best way, but overall, it's like I. It was an, it was such a great experience watching these shows. You know whether it was a good show or a bad show, low key. Because some of the some of these motherfuckers had some awful seasons, and a couple of them I even just had to stop watching because it just got kind of whack. But it was still kind of like looking back on it, it's like wow, that's that's really special like as a comic book fan and i i grew up with with these shows you know what i mean so it's like the fact that they all ended it was it's like the end of an era because i've been watching these shows since 2012 you know what I mean? like i was well 14 a freshman in high school bro so yeah so arrow for my uh tv show and then only god forgives for my for my movie selection Yeah, I still gotta watch. I still gotta watch. I think I was watching watching Only God Forgives at one point. Then I was watching it on Hulu. But then the next day it, they removed it off the streaming service. But I think I see it mm. now. It's on Amazon Prime. So I, I definitely gotta watch. Yeah, Only God ch- Forgives. Yeah, ch- yeah, check it out for sure. I'm, I'm gonna have to give it another rewatch too because that's like, bro, that's one. Of, that's a that's a damn good movie. You know what? Since we're doing Ryan Gosling, probably now I'm I'm going to for my one the one I'm gonna do a movie that really means a lot to me that I saw with you actually in college. Which is Blade Runner twenty forty nine, directed by the late, the great, the great Denny Villeneuve. I remember yes, you, indeed. you and I, and some friends at the time in college went to the opening night. Ten, or it was ten thirty at night, and for IMAX and for Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and that's an experience that I will never forget. Because I remember you and I are like the scenes where they're the scenes where they're they're driving or the, the mm-hmm. aerial shots. You and I, our our, our uh, chairs were shaking. The yeah, sound bro. was <laughs> the sound was crazy. But I remember you and I thanks for that. I was, even though I had to pee really bad halfway in the movie, it's a three hour movie too. I yeah, was just, we all held it in, you guys. Like it was, it was a older. journey, man. But it was worth it. It was definitely worth it. So worth it, dude. I just remember being mesmerized by the screen, like seeing like the visual effects, the flying, everything, the action, the set pieces, the cinematography by, by Roger Deakins, Ryan Gosling, uh, Harrison Ford. Everything in that movie was just beautiful. And I remember feeling something that I never felt before in a movie before, just being just feel like so immersed and just feeling so like transported. That's the beauty of IMAX, beauty mm-hmm. of filmmaking, it's the beauty of Denis Villeneuve news films like Dune and Prisoners and Sicario and Arrival. It's re- he's a remarkable filmmaker, but that movie just to me hit differently. I just remember just being in awe of what we were seeing and I was just like, oh my god! And seeing that movie in IMAX was—I'm so glad you, you and I did that because it was just like I experienced like no other. I felt like they—they they, they never, they never released an IMAX version of that movie, unfortunately, on home video or Blu-ray. And I'm begging IMAX when to bring it back theaters for a one night only or one weekend only because goddamn, I dream about that movie a lot. Seeing that in IMAX again because Jesus, that was like an experience like no other. Kind of like seeing Endgame with you, Infinity War with you guys in college too. But I just remember just being mesmerized by that movie and just feeling like. I want to. I want to live in this world. I want to live in this movie because it's just so beautiful and it was so amazing. And I love that movie so much. It's my top ten of all time. So 
I'm for sure going with Blade Runner 2049 because it's just a, a masterpiece. And, and I don't use that word lightly at all. That movie is a masterpiece from start to finish. Cinematography, the acting, the score by Hans Zimmer, visual effects. Anna de Armas is beautiful, like, great in it. She's phenomenal in it. She's, you know, she's also just beautiful, flat out gorgeous. It's just a beautiful movie that I wish people could, again, it flopped really bad when that movie came out, unfortunately, and like there was no yeah. sequels for it. It just breaks my heart to this day, six years later, that movie that no one saw but us. <laughs> it was just, if you didn't see the movie in IMAX, you missed out on a huge experience. I, yeah, I, you and I had bragging rights for life for that movie because really, it, that was like a once in a lifetime kind of movie. See that in IMAX and seeing that movie, just how Denis filmed it and the visuals and Roger Deakins' cinematography, just a literally perfect movie in my eyes. So that's my movie of the week. And for my show, I'm going to go with that show that we watched with Zeta recently, which is Danny McBride and Walton Goggins in Vice Principals. Do you know this show, Nick? <laughs> Vice, no, I haven't, I haven't heard of this show. Tell me about it. So it's literally, it's literally these two guys. Um, Bill Murray plays this, at, at, at this high school in South Carolina. Bill Murray stepping down. He's the principal of the school. And mm-hmm. Walton Goggins and Danny McBride play these kind of two hothead kind of like just kind of jerky vice principals, but they both want the job so badly and they hate each other. Like they hate each other and they both think they're going to get this job once the principal steps down. But the school district brings in this woman from, um, from Philadelphia to come in and they're both kind of, they're both kind of, both kind of like caught off guard. They're like, it's supposed to be us. So, so they kind of, te- so they kind of team up mm-hmm. to like, to like bring her down. So, so they both can be, so they both, so they both can become principal basically. And it's a very, it's a very, it's a TVMA. It's Dan McBride. You know, it's kind of humor. It's very raunchy and very kind of just like, like very, lo- very lot of vulgar words. But man, it is so funny because it's literally these two, these two guys. I want to bring down this girl, this woman so badly. So, so they have the principal job at some random high school in South Carolina. And it is so funny, dude. It's one of the funniest shows ever because it's so, again, Danny McBride kind of humor. It's very uncensored, unfiltered. It's very kind of just like, hey, like they'll do anything to get this job for a principal <laughs> job, for a principal job of all jobs. And it's so absurd and it's so wacky and so kind of get raunchy. But if you like his humor, it's super, super funny. I got, I rewatched it with Zeta the other day, full binge, and she loved it too. So it's really one of those shows I just love so much because Dan McBride to me always cracks me up. And the show is show the show is so absurd, but it just mm-hmm. works on all levels and it's really hilarious. So I, I highly recommend Vice Principles is my show the week because oh man, it's 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 really it's ridiculous. It's again a show about these two these two guys that want principal jobs so badly that they they'll literally do anything to bring this girl to bring this woman down. And again, it's absurd. So Recommend both Blade Runner 2049 and Vice Principals. I think Blade Runner 2049 is streaming on Hulu right now or Max, and Vice Principals is also on Max, but both worth the watch. Um, wait, before two, before we close out, too, what, what's your favorite uh, Margot Robbie movie? My favorite Margot Robbie movie, you know, I think mm, it's a tough one, bro. I'm gonna have to go with you know, what? I'm gonna go with Focus, uh, released in 2015, Will Smith. Yes, <laughs> that that's that's my shit, low key. Um, I think it's kind of uh, I feel like I got not like a bad rap, but I'm like, nah, th- this movie's dope, man. I don't really have any issues with it. It's a fun movie. It's kind of this, you know, they they got like the whole heist thing. They got romance, but it's never. It's it's just a fun overall movie, and you know, they had they had really good chemistry. Um. This might be a hot take. I kind of think maybe he should have just stayed with her and and then left Jada low <laughs> key, man. Especially after what ended up going on. But no, yeah, I gotta go with focus. 
focus. Yeah, you know what, Nick? This is why. This is why we have a podcast. This is why we're best friends. I'm going with focus too. I almost went with. Oh uh, yeah. Once in Hollywood, I, I do love that movie a lot too. But she's not like the lead of that movie. But I think she was. I think she was a great Sharon Tate. I think she's a very remarkable actress in that movie too. Yeah. I do love. I do love her as Harley Quinn. But Focus is a very underrated movie because she has great chemistry with Will Smith. Surprise, surprise. Um, but <laughs> I, I think that movie is very underrated. I think that, yeah, that movie came out. No one saw that movie. And it's a very great kind of heist, but it's about con artists, and it's very, it's very smartly written too. And it's very, it's very sleek. It's very sexy. It's very stylish. Mm-hmm. And it has a lot, a lot of good chemistry. It's filmed real well too. And again, it's very well that talked about a lot, but it's kind of like her first kind of big role post um, Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. And like I said, and this was she, like leading up to Suicide Squad too. And like yes. everybody was hyped there. Like, oh man, Will Smith is dead shot. Um, um, Margot Robbie is as Harley Quinn. Like, I, I, I know, like me for sure. I was like, oh hell, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with that. I was totally on board. Yeah, I think Focus is a movie that I'm gonna rewatch maybe this weekend because it's so good and it's so underrated. But it just it's just filmed really just kind of like very interesting and very yeah. a, lot, a lot of intellect and a lot of just kind of just like yeah, smart and savvy and it's very it's a very really really good movie. So yeah, I'm definitely going to Focus too. And the trailers were fantastic. One of them I remember Great they trailers. had um it was it was the Frank Ocean song. Bad um, religion. What was it? Bad, Bad religion. religion, dude. That 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 trailer made me fall in love with that song "Bad Religion," man. That low key became my theme song, man. It's so it's so good. Also, it's a good soundtrack too. But like, really, Will Smith and Marabi have great chemistry, and they play off like incredibly well with each other. And you're right, maybe should stay with her. But you know, I think so. it's, I think yeah, it's. I think we both agree on that tone. But you know, it's a different. <laughs> But this, this, is, this isn't the red table talk, unfortunately, guys. So sorry about that. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, that's a wild shit, low key, bro. But that's that's a different conversation. You're right. You're right. But guys, thank you so much for joining us this week. And um, as always, you can find the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Also, shout out to our our screening rep Lee, who has been remarkable with the screening and stuff like that. She's been really she's part of Frost Communications. So I just I adore Lee and Allison, but Lee's been super helpful getting us these screenings and just been like really great a great partner and great collaborator with the screens that we also promote like Strays and um Joyride. So look out for the more of those screenings this upcoming months. But I want to give a quick shout out to her as well because she's been really phen- phenomenal. But anyway, Nick, before we close that, where can our viewers find you as always? You can find me on YouTube at Donning Vision, capital D, capital V, and Instagram at Donning Vision, all lowercase, all one word. And you can find uh, any Donning Vision content, basically, like I said, on YouTube, Instagram, and anywhere else you can find podcasts, you guys. And I'll be, and I, I think I had it last week, but I'll check again tonight. I'll be, at, I, I think I have, I have your short film and I have your Donning Vision as well on our link tree. I'm going to double check tonight after the show. So check our link tree for that as well. Um, you can find myself, uh, the young Jones on Instagram, all one word. Uh, I'm doing more kind of like quick critic film stuff on Twitter, which is at Capri underscore sun S O N. Um, you can find the show as well on Instagram and TikTok at midway of new productions, our YouTube channel as well, midway of new productions and our website, midway of new productions.com. As always guys, we'll see you next time. See you deuces, everybody. Appreciate you.